Greetings, standard nerds. This is Tom Caramonte of Third Rail Design Lab. And Chris McClanahan of DeeplyDapper.com. And Blake today. Simmons, rogue agent at large. Rogue, <laughs> rogue agent, that's interesting. Not really. It doesn't seem apparent. It didn't take. You just go door to door, to door and sell that? or <laughs> Every other Show up wearing fabulous wigs? Yeah. No, it's, yeah, it's like Yakuza Inc., right? It's like you take off his clothes and it's, it's, totally, it's Bigfoot. <laughs> oh, it's Rogaine body. I got it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tachia. <laughs> it's terrible in every way. Well, so here we are Chris, with Tom another... and Blake, and it's time to <laughs> release the Kraken. So here we are doing another uh, another sort of commentary recap episode of our Game of Tolls coverage. Yeah, a little belated. And, uh, we tried to, to hit an episode-by-episode episode thing and failed again. So we're doing two. <laughs> you know, we did that last time. And, you know, I think with three people, it's going to be uh, even more sweet-ass than last time, which was, was fairly sweet-ass. I agree. Or so I'm told. Yes. Our, our legions of listeners all contacted us. They they sent ravens to applaud our our excellent coverage were, of the the last two episodes. Were these ravens those don't have hands? <laughs> yeah, right. Is this a Concord raven that can fly travel yes. the entire distance of a one and a half continents in about thirty minutes? Truth be told, they they were primarily pigeons and they were spray painted with graffiti. But yeah. I'm going to interpret that as something positive. <laughs> and they, Good can, they carry, can they carry two tons, uh, one thousand foot iron chains around past the wall? <laughs> Just in case. Yep. We'll get to that. I have a theory. We'll get to that. Uh huh. But first, we're going to talk about Eastwatch, right? Eastwatch. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, first, dr- I think we need to dry, find right? out what people are drinking. Oh, yes. What are you guys drinking? Anything exciting? Well, Bueller. so it's a beer night for me, so I okay. keep my wits about me. I'm having a Citrus Mistress from Hop Valley Brewing Company. It's an India Pale Ale brewed with grapefruit peel, which means it is 133% bitter. Mm, that sounds not that great, but interesting. It's pretty good, though. What are you and then drinking, I'm going to switch Blake? to uh, ginger ale. Ginger ale. So, <clears throat> since we're going to East Watch, I thought I'd go to the Frontier and grab a whiskey and just do Bullet straight up. Oh, nice. Ah, that is your drink This has never gone wrong for us at all. <laughs> never. never. <laughs> I'm drinking a Yeti Imperial Stout from Great Divide Brewing Company out of Denver, Colorado. There's a there's a fairly reasonable likelihood that by the second episode review I'll have switched to something a little stronger than my my beer, but we'll see. Just don't drink the the yellow two liter that is a different liquid entirely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, look, you're drinking you're drinking something from a Yeti discharge, so be careful to throw stones in a glass house, my friend. That's true. <laughs> hey, this this beer claims to be untamed and imposing, so I. So far, it's delightful. It's a stout. <laughs> I guess that's a better catchphrase than contaminated and refreshing. You think so? Yeah, probably, generally speaking. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, though. I, I might prefer refreshing over imposing. 
<laughs> All right, Eastwatch guys slid right into a Suicide Girls review somehow, but yeah, we yeah. might have. <laughs> uh, so, Eastwatch, you're uh, driving. Overall, what did you guys think of this episode? I liked it. There you go. I, yep, I thought it. I thought it was a. Well, I mean, it's just it's the inverse of what we're living through with certain other um, government things where every week it seems to get worse and worse. Uh, this series uh, and this season in particular seems to just keep upping the ante. So I was, I was delightfully entertained uh, with Eastwatch. I thought it was, um, that was really well done. It's interesting how much negative commentary it's getting online though. It is not a popular episode. I, well, yeah, there's, I think there's just a little bit of the, the the little things that are annoying people, but overall, it's a strong episode, and I think people can't wrap their head past that or something. It's weird. Well, I think that there's um, there's a backlash happening, which which was predictable when they said that they were going to do a compressed two micro seasons to finish this huge opus, and they were going well beyond the books and all the stuff. So they were basically making enemies on all sides of their viewership, right? The book, yes. the book types, the book types are pissed because they're on their own and it's never going to be as good and whatever. And then right. the, 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 the just the fans of the show are frustrated because it's being compressed and they want things to be the same pace that they've been. And then the continuity nerds like me start to get frustrated over the choices get made or plot expression that make me, you know, they're expediting things that then pull me out because I can't, I, I get frustrated at knowing that. You know, as a writer, and you're the same. You know that there are way, there are subtler ways of of making these transitions and yes. jumping space and time without just uh, breaking the internal logic and the internal rules of the storytelling in order to do it. Right. So that's what. Well, they, and the thing that really bothers me about that is that they. I feel like this is a show that they could literally get away with making as long episodes they want and throwing anything into it they want, and instead they're still using the TV shortcut logic, and I feel like it's really detrimental as a result because of that. Well, and you, and there's a lot of criti- pretty fair criticism that's suggesting that it seems more and more apparent that um, Weiss and Benioff want to get this over with. I mean, it, I it's so obvious because they've got to, you know, they've made this short, they've made this limit of very short seasons and they're going to do all this stuff at once. And from the first episode of this season, it was so aggressive in its content, just packed stuff. You knew it was yeah. going to be um, the final push that was going to be very intense. But I think part of the backlash to that is that when they have to take shortcuts because they're, because it's so plot driven now versus, Right, you know, um, you know, theme that everything ha- it feels like you're. I feel like I'm watching the visual interpretation of someone's AD and D campaign now that I didn't yeah. feel as much before because there are these very forced connections to make things happen in a very accelerated way, and there are they they've done they've done things visually that feel out of character for the show. They feel like more traditional TV drama mm-hmm. uh, tools 
that they used to not have to rely on because they had more time to breathe. The whole thing that yeah. we'll get to a little bit later with Arya in the room and that whole thing with Baelish, that was straight yeah. Telenova. It was it really total was. Telenova, right? Yeah, All it needed the was weirdest. the music. Yeah, I just don't understand why they... Like you said, I really think that they've gotten to the point now where they're just like, you know what, we're kind of done with this. And they just kind of picked an arbitrary amount of time for it to be running, and they're calling it good from there. It's just really strange to me. It's it's mm. unfortunate that they didn't feel comfortable in their relationship with HBO, that they would work out a scenario by which a new showrunner would come on. And I know that the ownership of this show is different than other product that HBO has created and mm-hmm. and set up the pieces for. Like True Detective, owner, you know, HBO primarily, I think, owns that. And they can do, you know, rotating shifts of creators as they need to in order to keep it going if they want to. But I think right. here, this is Weiss and Benioff's baby, and they were calling the shots about what was going to happen. And I feel like I would have been much more, I would have definitely been on for, you know, eight more seasons or whatever at the pace yeah, that they had. I mean, come it on. seemed but like it needed just, a lot more. But that just wasn't going to happen, right? No. You have to, you have to. I mean, we do live in a world that doesn't exist outside of a timeline. And, uh, right. you know, I, I I have a different take on it. I think um, I agree that it's a little compressed and condensed, but I think they've done such an admirable and marvelous job of setting all the pieces in motion and building the characters up to the point where putting them in play uh, and still meaning truth to the core of the characters or maybe not to the temporal aspects that has set the pace and precedent before. Mm-hmm. But but listen, it, when things go south, they tend to go south very quickly. And it's so, been consistent about that, though. And yeah. it has been. It, it's like you said about setting up the pieces. They've, there's a lot of discussion in some other um, Game of Thrones related podcasts I listen to where they talk about table setting episodes. And they mm-hmm. describe Eastwatch as the last of the table setting episodes. But I think I think it's been fun all the way along. Every season, yeah, every episode, yeah. but definitely we've led up in the last season. We had a lot of build up towards the circumstances we have now. Yep. And I feel like this is, um, I feel like we're watching them release the dominoes and those really elaborate domino sculptures, right? Where they've yep. spread it all out and they got the one or like the Rube Goldberg machine or something. They're going to press the thing and watch it all happen. And I like, I'm really enjoying the pace. I just feel like there's some justification to the complaint that the time space uh, maneuvering for storytelling purposes is feeling um, a little bit amateurish compared to what you or I could imagine them having done. Little, mm-hmm. It's like we do with movies, right? Little things they could have right. tweaked and it would have been a lot smoother. I feel like at this point they're just still looking at their whiteboard going, well, <laughs> that one and that one plus that one. There you go. <laughs> go. <laughs> so I don't know. No, anyway, I do think so that's either. a fair complaint, but I do think that it's something where, yeah, I think even when – there's these little nitpick things that overall, when you sit back from the episode, you're like, hmm, I don't know if I like that. I do think that watching the episode, I'm fully invested the entire hour that it's on. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. It's riveting. And it's getting yeah. worse, right? It's getting nauseating and riveting at the same time, right? That, yeah, really. The, t- the tension when you watch is just so like, ugh. But it's yeah. like earlier in the season we talked about with the Euron problem. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. there were the 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 Mary Sue nature of him as an anti-character right. could easily be tweaked by 
the logistics of the plot being a little different to allow him to be at the right place at the right time without it being mad, without it being like just ridiculous timing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. This, it's the same thing happening over these next two episodes and particularly the second one we'll talk about. There are, there are time space jumps to make uh, characters be available um, in a very forced way that makes it feel like the AD and D thing. Right. Where, there's some internal logic problems, not in, not just in terms of how it's structured as a as a production, but just in the story itself. The way the characters are making decisions, they can make mm-hmm. some slight slight adjustments that don't even require, um, you know, uh, omniscience <laughs> right. to do this. Um, some basic logic would dictate things being done differently that would allow for um, the the MacGuffins that they're throwing out there to be more easily swallowed because the, the reach is not as long. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, mm-hmm. let's, we should talk about East watch anyway. That, so you asked overall, did we like it? I certainly fucking, I loved it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so long kind of story like, short. Yes. <laughs> I mean, but just, just to cap it up, if HBO is crazy, they're crazy like a box. Cause they've right. gone through the roof. And, uh, I think finishing on a high note, as opposed to, you know, if it was an it was a fifteen season opus and people just got tired, like, gosh darn. And another yeah, thing, yeah, I agree, right? And so, like, I would say True Blood had the same kind of complaints when it, you know, crescendoed or reached a, <laughs> a, a rather unsettled end, right? And then Six right. Feet Under had the same thing, right? So, yeah, I definitely well, think they're they they chose the right route to go in terms of. Both energy level and I think people's obsession with it. And, you know, it's one of those things where even if you don't like the way they're going this season, there's only six more episodes. You're definitely going to be watching those six episodes. Well, and, and you know, I think it's been several seasons now where the obvious parallel is Lost, right? Yes. Where Lost felt where, we you know, people like me were insisting that they had a master plan and begrudgingly began to accept at the end that they were struggling to figure out how to how to cork the bottle right, right. Uh, as someone who does <laughs> as someone who does big writes big sprawling interconnected storylines with 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 my my stuff with third rail i understand that if you don't have the beginning and the middle and the end sorted out it's like just like anything that you're writing Improv- improvisation right. is fun as an exercise. And I love doing it. But if you don't have an overarching um, skeleton or a framework of what you're trying to do, you're in trouble when you paint yourself into that corner. And Lost Absolutely. was an example of them. You know, those last few seasons of Lost, I was jumping up and down because my fan theories were so much better than what we got. <laughs> right. And I'm, obviously, many of us were feeling that way. Um, you know, they could have reined it in and it would have been much more satisfying than the, some of the choices that that they fell into here. It's the opposite. They set mm-hmm. it all up. It's the build up to the big thing. It's like a great heist movie. You got all this set up to do the heist and then they hit the doors of the bank and that's what we're watching. And I think yeah. it, like you said, Blake, they're going out high on, you know, at the top as opposed to letting it peter out. And I, I still think they had more, many more seasons before they would have lost their steam just to maintain the, the pacing that they had before they could have done that. But I agree mm-hmm. at least they're going out. At least it's not one of those deals where someone said, okay, this is the last season or, you know, halfway through producing the season, they find out they're not going to be renewed. And so they just kind of just do a quick and easy wrap up. This is, right. this is very, 
<clears throat> very uh, energized and exciting. It's super exciting to watch, even if it's not yeah. as graceful as it used to be. Yeah, I agree completely. I think that... I think they're making the right choices considering the amount of time they decided they have. And I, I think, honestly, the biggest problem is just that the budget is getting so insane that they have to do these shorter seasons in terms of episodes to be able to afford them. No, and they didn't have that problem with this. They didn't have a budget issue on these last two. This was entirely them saying it's the producers saying that they didn't want to do they only wanted to do one more season, right? And then HBO convinced them to do two small seasons instead of one longer one to finish it. They've had oh, a bigger budget every episode. This is my understanding. I could be wrong. But they've I had a bigger budget every episode. Set amount, and they had to kind of divide that out between the episodes. But I well, may be have, completely off base. The, bu- the scale of the budget of each of these episodes of these last two seasons is like the, it's like the season budget from middle seasons and well in excess of the entire you know the early few seasons i mean every we're getting the second to last episode every time 10 million an episode so so okay so episodes east watch we exciting for a table setting episode Mm -hmm. yeah yes yeah for a, a table setting episode this is pretty great uh, so we open with the Rose Road with the aftermath of the dragon battle. And Jamie is miraculously three or four miles away from the battle, <laughs> approximately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Daenerys has a little bit of a conversation with some, some leftovers from the war. And that's about that the extent of that scene. What'd you guys well, think? Well, wait a minute. No, the fire roasting of the Tarleys. We can't forget about that. Well, that's that, that was, was the conversation she referred. He referred. Yes, to. Oh, okay. That was the conver- yeah. I was I was trying to be vague so that we could bring out the details uh, in conversation, Blake. Gosh, Blake. <laughs> I'm not one for two. I didn't want to detail every single second. Okay. <laughs> Storm spitter. That's, that's your new name. That's Tom's job. Yes. <laughs> so, I have some concerns. I had some thoughts. First of all. At the end of the last episode, Blake and I were ranting about this for a while. The 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 fall into the into the water, we were I think we were both feeling like I hope this is metaphorical, the deep the descending yes. into the gloom, that it was artistic license in the way they were telling the story. It was merely that he was in the water and he was in armor and you know, he may or may not be dead. Of course he's not dead. And then yeah, the next yeah. episode, what's gonna happen? And I was really banking on her having Drogon fish him out. And this leads to that <laughs> the concept of the, 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 the Occam's razor component to this plot. If they had pulled him out, he's suitably freaked out. Right. And they say, this yes. is how it is. And we need, and, and here's the big, this here's, here's the bigger picture problem beyond the wall. And you need to get on board. And he says, Got it. <laughs> and then they release him yeah. and they send it back to Cersei. And now he's, you know, he's the mechanism by which that conversation continues. And again, we have to talk about it episode by episode because my my interpretation of what was happening, what was going to happen, obviously, mm-hmm. was it differs as you go. Right. <laughs> Things yeah, in absolutely. the mo- most recent episode undo some of my thoughts about this one. But that's what I thought was the very logical conclusion to that, mm-hmm. that cliffhanger. And yet we have this. A little bit more tired trope of 
bursting out of the water, um, which they do a lot. Yeah, <laughs> they, yeah, the they really in, do. In a couple miles away, um, you know. Well, that was, yeah. you know, <laughs> that was a thing. I never had a problem with him floating off into the water the way they did because, to me, it was pretty clear that that was just decorative, right. basically. I mean, there was right. really no question to me that he was f- deep in the ocean somewhere. <laughs> or anything like that. And I thought it was really, it was just a neat shot to end on. But yeah, oh, but I, I kind of have to question being that much further down the river and then coming up for air. Well, and there's there's been a fair amount of criticism online about the idea of Braun um, having, the, having the role that he had in the last episode and that he was engaging. I mean, I believed him when he said, you need to go back to King's Landing this is suicide. But then when Jamie stayed and then he decided to stay and Jamie puts it on him to go and, and, and get access to the scorpion. I I was, I was kind of believing that. And I was even believing that he would do it because he is a sellsword. He does align himself with the person that he's with. He's owed a lot from Jamie. He has a a, a relationship with him about what he's expecting to get. And he has conveyed that he doesn't like the situation, but he's going to kind of continue. But all of a sudden. But what were you going to you're going to finish it with what he says at the conclusion of it? (laughs) Well, no, go ahead. No, no, just but but then he but then the so this is the one exception to the philosophical consistency in the character development, because then after shooting the scorpion and saving Jamie's rear end uh, and pull him out of the water. Um, he says, dragons is where you and I part ways, my friend. <laughs> right. Language. And I'm like, well, then what? Why did you go to the scorpion? Why did you put up this fight and do all this? And suddenly now you have an epiphany that, oh, I'm well, not going to do that again. Well, but I but I interpret that as, you know, he was doing what he had to do, basic survival in that battle. He was everyone's being roasted by the dragon. What's he going to do? So it was his version of Jamie's, uh, you know, fatalist charge with the lance however now that they have escaped he's like okay i'm out <laughs> so that to me made sense i just felt like they had broadcast that doom was coming to Braun when he didn't pick up his gold you know and that of right. course was the name of that episode but uh the way the, the way that it picks up at the beginning of this one i i really like when these characters from westeros show sufficient awe and fear about the dragons and what daenerys's power means and the realization that they're doomed. And they've shown over this, this whole season, Jamie has had a very realistic, sobering acceptance of how screwed they are. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's really cool. That plays up in this episode later. But I just, you know, <laughs> with this, with this, 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 this idea that they just, you know, they just surface a little ways later and say, well, that was crazy. Um, <laughs> it, it just it sort of let a little bit of the steam out of the previous episode to me yeah. I don't know yeah, yeah. it was okay it was okay yeah <clears throat> again they could have so, fished him out with Drogon that would be much better do you guys really think that that Braun means everything he says as far as that's concerned because I get the feeling he's a lot more loyal than he yeah. pretends yeah. like he is he is the classic archetype of he's the Han Solo right yeah absolutely he's there's no way, man. I'm in it just for me. I'm in it for number one. I don't care about any of this. I'm on my way. And then, well, yeah. What's interesting it, it, later in this episode, you have what you, what we've been begging for with him, which is him faced with Tyrion and 
Jamie, his two <laughs> opposing yeah. side brothers that he has worked closely with. And I understand from what I've read that they had prepared to do a scene where he's talking with Tyrion mm-hmm. and we didn't get it. So we just see him as the as the mechanism to bring them together. And he's like, you know, my name is Paul. And this is between y'all. Right. Yeah, see, I, and I, I, yeah. I, for one, would have liked to have seen that episode, that, that scene, because <clears throat> without it, there's this whole gap about how Tyrion got to Braun in a way that wasn't detected. And how did they come up with the setting of the meeting and all that? So that, that would have been a detail that would have been greatly appreciated. Agree. Well, yeah. And, and especially leading into the fact that, um, that, uh, Kyburn, was on top of this and knew what was happening and informed Cersei and that whole, the, the tonality of that, st- that conversation, which we'll get to, which was really icy. I yeah. it would have, been have a little bit more of seeing each of these guys talking with Brahm and the setup of this meeting. So we would understand we, that we would understand how this, this plot was structured before finding out that Cersei knew about something we don't even know. Right. Right. <laughs> it was sort of glossy. But the other thing about this, and 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 you talked about this in the summary of this of this scene, uh, or this location, there's been a lot of division online about what the, the, the ultimatum that Daenerys gave the Tarleys, and there's mm-hmm. been a lot of debating about whether this was another step towards the the dark Targaryen, you know, urge versus you know whether it's justifiable. And I think this is the most fascinating stuff we're getting out of game of Thrones. Cause I don't care about the religion, the pseudo religion stuff and right. the D and D stuff is fun. But, but what I really like is the bleeding edge between reasonable and unreasonable when it comes to being a leader in a war world. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Ruthless without too ruthless. And there's a lot of parallels. You know, Blake was saying these, that this has been an inversion of our reality. But I still think that there's a whole lot of the gender thing here. Mm-hmm. What she does is being judged. It's, it's, being, it's being second-guessed and triple-guessed based on not only who she is and what her heritage is, but also the fact that she's a queen coming into this and the experiences she's had. And they spent last – no, it's this episode, right? One of these recent episodes, there was a lot of, of – People were comparing – everyone was comparing how badly they had it as a woman in this world, right? Last episode. Okay. Yeah. yeah Arya and Sansa one, yeah. and Cersei's talked about what happened to her and Daenerys has brought it up a few times. And there's a lot of emphasis on the fact that we have this female-dominated past two seasons and mm-hmm. we have female leaders making all these moves, which is great. But I think the way in which – people are like the advisors are working with these people or the way the way in which the decisions these characters are making in a leadership position says as much about where we are in our current culture and what we expect people to do what is the, what does the good guy do or good good woman do right so right. i think it's very interesting i actually was i was feeling this i was feeling the scene with what she did with the tarleys but i could totally i felt it was very um tragic but I felt like it was nice that there wasn't an easy way out and that Tyrion's cautions were ignored. Yeah, but uh, so to, to top that around, I, I also like the fact that um, there's this, you know, the old theme of every revolution will eat itself and mm-hmm. unity and strife in a case of a common enemy, real or perceived. 
Um, and then I also like the, the dual wrinkle of Tyrion walking through the battlefield and being absolutely aghast at what has been going on. And, and throughout this past three seasons, I'd say, the, um, the notion of PTSD in uh-huh. Game of Thrones coming back is, is very compelling. So there's a lot of really deep themes and insights that uh, are really compelling and not normal for the genre. And, yeah. and, and then and the role of conscience, morality, power. Characters and, getting, yeah. characters developing that complexity in their decision-making, the morality yeah. seeping in where they didn't have it. And we, and we made a big deal, people, more, more people than us, made a big deal of, of Theon's PTSD and whether it was a good thing or a bad thing. And right. right. We were in favor of that and thought that was a great story, story point. But a lot of people were frustrated by it. I'm interested to see. I haven't yet to see any commentary on, on the Hound from the most recent episode. But we had another example <laughs> of a badass fighter. Well, Theon isn't <laughs> one, but you know what I mean. A badass fighter <laughs> that was faced with his fear and mm-hmm. was paralyzed. But right. So, right. But but with Tyrion, right, it's a different level because he's not a great warrior. He's a great thinker, uh, and he it feels very deeply. Uh, the the lives that he's cost, and there's a there's some great scenes with Tyrion and oh, other scenes so that I won't jump ahead of, right? But but that, that kind of depth in morality and crisis of conscience, and like his true belief that Daenerys can break the wheel and make a better world versus mm-hmm. what you need to do to get to a position of power to make a difference. I think I think that is a great um, parallel for a lot of significant moments through history and i just i just love it i think it's really rich and well uh, and also it's a very american thing to have a decision maker or a plotter i mean he's not the he's not the leader here but he's making the the decisions he's the main strategist the war strategist and he's a civilian and that's a, a fairly unique american phenomenon that the leader of our military is a civilian right most often they have a military background but the bottom line is there's something very interesting about Tyrion having to walk the field because a lot is being made that it's, oh, he's looking at the Lannister deaths and going, oh, my God, I look at the level of which I, be- no, I betrayed no, no, these no. people, which I don't buy. But I think no. he's walking around saying this shit is real. Yep. And the more he's taken out of the out of the, the war room and into the battlefield, yep. it's different than early on. And the more recent episode, of course, he he does try to. So, you know, explain why, well, you know, I have been in the, I have been in the shit as Bill Murray says, but you know, <laughs> the big picture, yeah. he spent the last, you know, these last several arcs advising from the war council and not having to be back where he was in um, Blackwater Bay. Right. Right. And it's sobering for him. I think he's an amazing, amazing actor. I love, I want him on screen all the time. If he's as long other than Littlefinger, right? He's my number two. <laughs> God. You and your but, fucking Littlefinger obsession. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be in a different mindset around Littlefinger, but we'll get to that when it happens. But uh, but, but just the thing about the Lannisters, remember after the King's Landing Hellfire incident when he set the fleet of Baratheon mm-hmm. on fire, that was something that he was racked with guilt over, yes. um, especially at the end when he got half his face cut off. But um, Yes. And yet he kind of relies on it as his I can fight too thing occasionally, which I find interesting right. because you can tell he carries a lot of guilt about it. But he also yeah. uses it as his like one example as, oh, I can be badass too, which I think is interesting. I think it's very realistic. I think yeah. 
I think I think I think it makes sense that he does because he he's str- he's constantly having to validate himself. Yeah, to other from his, people from and his to family, himself. and and what we've seen over these last several episodes is Daenerys biting him, right? Mm-hmm. Questioning his loyalty. The these these flare ups, which I think n- narratively are wonderful because they show and they've they've hammered this into us through him and Varys talking. She needs to be tempered by mm-hmm. another view. She right. needs to be balanced out. And as we go, I think it's, we, we start to see that this balance may be coming from a different place. But right. I think it's very true that maybe the problem that she is having and that many other leaders in this world have had is that it's so absolute. It's top mm-hmm. down. It's abs- You're constantly being threatened. Everyone's paranoid. And, you know... <laughs> It's deadly business and that maybe, the, the, you know, having advisors that you trust and having um, a little bit more of a reasoned approach to ruling, which is what they talk about with the breaking of the wheel and, and you know, what happens next. The lasting right. piece has to be based on a type of trust and a, and a structure that doesn't doesn't put everybody at immediate imminent risk of being assassinated and attacked. Right. <laughs> Every so decision is, you make. But- Right. So to me, the, can you break the wheel when you are an integral part of it? Yes. Yes. yes and yes. trapped by the history of it. And it, that, that's a very interesting question. And, he, and all these questions about Daenerys and whether she's going to go, bitty, 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 that's all, folks. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> you know, that's. <laughs> That's uh, uh, is that the, the, the Buck Rogers ra- robot doing it is tunes there? <laughs> That's all, folks. That was a thing. <laughs> that just That's the new people. closing to Robot Kraken here, gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're on scene one and a half. Let's go. Well, but so wait a minute. Let's yeah, go back really to the top, please, because they spent a, they spent several they've spent a lot of work in making us care about or be at least aware of Tarly the second <laughs> in I order can... to set up the scene. And I think there was some backlash to that because like, Oh, they forced us. They kept making the jokes about his name. They, they, they showed us the scene with Samwell going back home and being compared against his super rad brother and all that stuff. We've seen him have his, his honest thoughts about the, the battle in the last episode mm-hmm. Um, they've used him as a cipher. He's made a, he's been a direct nod to um, Robert Brathian, right? And the things that he describes, so that's a great callback, you know, this, the things about the realities of war and all that stuff. But they're right. also using him. I think his mechanism is not so much about we need to set up a character in order to kill them so that we can pick off a few more people without having to pick off the remaining super characters, right? I think it's more about the ongoing theme of the the transgressions of the parents and I think the, it's the impacts of them I, on the children. I also think that Dickon is kind of the viewer analog in the scenes. He's the one that you can see the oh, horror yeah. through and Absolutely. the inexperience and everything. And by the end of the battle, you don't need him for that anymore. But he, but he's his decision, even when his father looks at him and, and 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 shakes his head. It's like don't do it. When he decides to step forward with his father, it's a fatal moment for him. 
Yeah. And I like that they committed. I was afraid they were going to do the last minute pullback where she's going to say through Tyrion's guidance, you know, okay, well, you guys are so dedicated to your to your beliefs. I can't just strong arm you into doing what I want. So send you to the dungeons like wanted. I I like that she, you know, especially because he reiterated his xenophobia and his defiance. I like that she had to. You know, this was a this wasn't an irrational thing. This was a rational, strategic thing. I need to have this. I have to have this um, fealty, or mm-hmm. that's it. I love that they follow through and to- and toasted them. I just thought it was wonderfully tragic that he decided to stay with his father. That he had been programmed to the point where, even after everything he'd seen, that he felt like his role in the honor for his house was to stand stand with his father and take his licks. Especially right. given how much we see the references to that not happening with Jorah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Or or a lot of the other families, right? So right. It, right, right, it, right. I did like the kind of human element when they held hands right before they got turned into briquettes, but it oh, was yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> it was <laughs> I it was a very compelling scene. And it also I think um so here's a twist that I got out of that that I thought was very <clears throat> compelling is that Tyrion had to watch loyalty play out in a way that it had never played out for him. Right. Yes. And absolutely. right in front of him, he saw what could, you know, the power, even as tragic as it was, of a family sticking together through thick and thin. And, and what they wanted to sacrifice for each other. Right. And, and in his family, it was who can stab the knife quickest in the back and how deep can it get before they notice. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And yeah. like they broadcast to us, Daenerys's family, her, her advisors as well as her armies are with her because they believe in her. Well, I think, I think that's some platitudes that the Dothraki are not there because they believe in her. But anyway, the point is <laughs> at least her close advisors are, 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 are very reverent about her. And that is yeah. a bond that is deeper than what many of these, what many of these families are experiencing. That's right. absolutely true. But so then, no, that's, that's a, right. And, but then it's interesting what's going on with the, uh, the Stark clan, Right, that they, as we'll talk later, they're they're going under internal friction, much like the Lannisters, as opposed to the Targaryens, uh, and in this case, Jon Snow with his family, which is still the Night's Watch and the Wildlings and everything else. And so it, it's just very interesting how you see these different divisions play out and the different kind of um, points they're trying to make along the plot lines. Well, yeah, and they really have played up the, they're really playing up the, you know, how the kids how the children of these people perceive themselves and their relationship to the, to the reputation of their family, their parents, and also their family and their family name. When we get mm-hmm. to the fan service return of Gendry or which I guess had happened, right. That's that happened last episode, right. When he was recruited yes. again. Uh, right. uh, yes. Yes. You were, I thought you'd still be rowing. I mean, it's hundred percent fan service, but he's got mm-hmm. the big hammer. The Baratheon hammer that I he has forged for himself, just like his dad. <laughs> and as some, as one of the other podcasts, uh, Joanna Robinson mentioned, if you look closely, he's even carved in the Baratheon. Yeah, he's got the sigil. stag on it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah it's all is, over. Yeah. She said he's cosplaying as his daddy, which I thought was hilarious. Right. Except, but I mean, again, he's a better runner. <laughs> yes, much better. Oh yeah, but he's you know, a much once, once again, <laughs> once again, here's a guy who's who's chosen to respond to a series of misfortunes about his something that was completely out of his control being the bastard of the of the of the king um mm-hmm. in a way that is not bitter 
he still worships, he still idolizes, he idolizes where he came from and is honoring it. Whereas many of the characters are taking a different approach to their parents, right? Right. Certainly Tyrion. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the other, one other thing about the scene before we move on is I think that, um, you know, you watch how they spend their money, right? And so they chose to render, they threw polygons at Drogon torching these guys. When they could right. have been stuck through, they could have been stuck through, they could have had their throat slit. They could have even had the dragon flick them with a claw. But she, it was a very thematic thing. She used the mm-hmm. dragon to utterly incinerate them because that's her symbolism and that's the that's the thing that people, that she's well, she banking on. she had to send a message to all of those other troops there. And how do you, and then, really and, is. right, and every other, um, you know, Everybody else can do some stabbings and some chokings and some whatever hanging from a tree. I have a dragon that will just obliterate you and your family and everything about your house into ash. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's as easy as breathing. Yeah. And that's it was the you know, frankly, it was the show of force that was yeah. unnecessary, but it was to send that message. And it was so effective. Right. So yeah, cool. Absolutely. Asymmetric warfare. Yeah. One mm-hmm. lesson in metric warfare. You want me to do the next one? Yes, we're let's taking, move. I, uh, I think we're we're at like three hours now, so let's move on to the next section. <laughs> so okay, so the next stop on our journey of this episode was Winterfell, and the major beats for this sequence were: we saw a a sequence of Bran warging a murder of crows or ravens or whatever, and that delivers some very specific information. And then we also see um, some Scooby-Doo shit. <laughs> some Scooby-Doo shit with my man Littlefinger and his efforts to set up an internal or to fan the flames of an internal conflict between the two Stark daughters because it's inconvenient for him to have <laughs> to have <laughs> Sansa have both an as a badass assassin little sister as well as a giant Amazonian warrior close at her side when he wants to be doing the controlling. So very interesting. I think we need to talk about the motivations of the people in this in these scenes. But that's those are the big points. So what do you guys think about the brand working situation? I thought it was interesting. I like the way he appeared to be flickering between the ravens. Mm-hmm. As he was flying, I thought that was a really unique touch. I don't, I mean, there wasn't too much to it outside of just tying down exactly where the army was, I feel like. Well, I think that the the reason for this scene was, you know, I mean, it's we've never had a really strong sense of the speed at which this army marches and where they are in the north. And, and it's something I personally struggle with because I don't understand the geography of this world as much as I should. I look at the map and everything. But but yeah, but, no, but the, the, cartography, the, the cartography doesn't matter because right, if you measure right. it out, the, the rate of speed, these no, guys no, yeah. are like wandering the desert for 40 years just waiting for the plot and development to occur. Oh, no, no. And, and oh, now we can arrive. Like, but, but anyway, that's what I'm saying. Right. It's not, I don't think the scene was about figuring out where they were and whether they were close or not. It didn't even have much to do with um, the arrowhead shaped rock that we would, that, 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 uh, uh, like that the, the hound see. saw in yeah. his vision and that we led to in the next episode. 
I thought at first that was what we were going to see was the relationship of the horde to East watch or to other uh, landmarks that would give us a sense that they are much closer than we thought. I don't think it was that. Mm-hmm. I think it was a reminder that there's some supernatural shit going on with, with Bran. Again, this is the whole thing of the emerging, the emerging magic in this world and all of these, yeah, all these agents of chaos having to deal with this, that they can't control. Right. I well, think, I think it, was it definitely about... shows that that Bran is becoming more proficient with the warging as well, controlling that many ravens and flicking between them. Absolutely. But I think it was also a reminder to us, something we'd seen before, but only in his visions, that the Night King is obviously is supernatural, but that there's a lot of communication and omniscience and something else going on with him and his relationship to other supernatural things that we're seeing on the show. Because he looks mm-hmm. up at Bran, which is not the first time he's done this, no. and the ravens scatter, right? So he yeah. breaks the war. And he knows he's looking back through the warg at Bran, which, which was a good reminder that there's something up. And and we see this in the next episode too. It's a re- something I don't really think about until I was watching them pantomime with each other for a while. They never speak, right? <laughs> but mm-hmm. they know what. But they're communicating. So are they hive mind or what? I don't know. But, but uh, is this so? There, there's a lot of theories out there that Bran is the Night King. Yeah, but that's horseshit. Yeah, I've we've seen, seen that. I know, I know, but but it, it is interesting. It's an interesting layer to potentially filter this through, right? So, well, at the time at the time of last episode, and then this episode, I was still thinking that Bran going through the wall was what effed up the magic of the wall that kept the kept the the night army out, yeah, and that mm-hmm. he through his additional um, powers and ability to see these things and have these visions, because we've seen that he can change and affect things on a temporal level as well as from great distance, that his meddling is what broke that barrier and has led them through, ironically. And I think think the next episode we see something different about that, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah. Uh, so this whole, what about this little Scooby-Doo business? <laughs> I gotta tell you the, the whole thing, this episode and the next episode, I'm getting, I'm either like really fucking confused and I don't know what's going on or I think they're doing a really shabby job of it. And maybe that's just me. I'll be, I'm curious to hear what you guys say, but I'm getting pretty, I, I feel like both of the the whole Winterfell thing is getting old for me. Well, at the, at the time of this episode, I was struggling to figure out the point at which we're seeing Baelish working with what he has and regaining a power position by manipulating people versus him struggling in defense, which he's never had to do. Because mm-hmm. he goes back to a good portion of all of the story. <laughs> is his manipulation and leading to this, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. an ongoing theme that they touch on periodically is that he basically started this and he's manipulated events all on the way to sow this instability. Right. Now, at when Bran showed up and that whole sequence of him trying to give him the give him the dagger and and do with him that he did with, what's his name, at the Vale, 
and then be being rebuked and not realizing the the scale of of brand's abilities and that whole that whole situation and then Arya showing up and seeing all that I think that was initially taken by other people to be that he was completely off his ass and didn't know what to do and was losing ground. Mm-hmm. I saw it. I saw him doing a lot of staring, doing what he does best, which is not speaking when he doesn't need to speak and then speaking when it's to his advantage. He had that misstep early on when he tried to talk to John and John put him up against the wall like his dad did but mm-hmm. or Ned did. But I think in this episode you're seeing him – um, shift his strategy very quickly and start figuring out the ways to isolate Sansa again because he needs right. to be Sansa's he needs to be her advisor against others and we've seen her say several times to people I know who he is I know what he is I need his people but I don't believe him and I don't trust him and I think he knows that she feels that way because she's rebuking him right Well, so I think he was uh, seeing an opportunity here but up to a point because uh, and she's listening. She's taking steps, you know, on the slow path. So even though she thinks she's self-aware, again, this whole paranoia, insecurity, yep. uh, fear of position, fear of getting displaced, um, not getting recognized, perceived or real about what you've contributed to the cause. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, so, but my question is, but, you know, so I think, I think we see this arc in Sansa that, will be very interesting to see how it culminates, whether she goes the way of Cersei or or other, or meets an untimely end. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, but I'm just I'm just still trying to figure out what the heck Littlefinger's in game here is. Does he really think Sansa has a shot at you know displacing and usurping uh, to get him a shot at the throne? Because that that just is a staggering step of hubris. And maybe that's his character, his character. Well, but, he's, but he's never been that, right? Well, but they have, I mean, they haven't talked to, they haven't talked it up too much in recent seasons, but we got to remember that, uh, Baelish is a, he's a poor man. He came from nothing. Right. And he's that classic character of the guy from the wrong side of the tracks. Who's built himself up, created an identity for himself and used his street smarts and his abilities to manipulate to work himself up into a position of power that maybe he didn't expect to have. But what is his endgame here? No, but I feel like sometimes he's tempered between his need to just destroy all of these powerful people that have looked down on him and shit on him. So a little bit of the Joker thing combined with starting to believe more and more that he has a shot at being the being the the one who whispers in the ear of the person who's on the throne. Well, I but, think but that, it, Yeah, I I sorry to mean to catch up, I, but I I don't know. I, I don't know if I buy that enough because a lot of his decisions based over his lifetime, it's either been stepping into situation and then cutting the head of the snake off as he sees it and then taking that power for himself, like what he did with the bail. Um, or is it because he still has this crush that was unrealized, and now he's thinking that if he could? But that's what makes him so interesting. He I, is, I don't know. I, I, you I know I I'm the, I know I'm the I'm the Baelish <laughs> lover on this podcast, but to me, I find it really interesting that he has this blatant obsession 
with Sansa because he was in love with her mother and that he is so that there's this part of him that really thinks that if he isolates her enough, he can get to this place in his mind that is the best of all the worlds. He saw so you his think... actions in the veil, his actions <laughs> in the veil led him to think the actions in the veil led him to believe that he could get into a position where he's the advisor to the to the female ruler and then when it's convenient knock her off and he just gets to take over so he thinks so that's you think happen. you think and what's happening time, here in winterfell is littlefinger trying to get Arya out of the way well no we, we can't get we can't go there yet right mm, i think at this point his i think what he's doing is he's seeing the return of the starks in pretty rapid order and the rebinding of the family, which is against his interests as being really the only person that is close enough to her to talk to, to, to manipulate her and her decision-making when she has other family, it suddenly becomes family first and he's on the outside. So I feel like he was trying to offset at this point in the story. I feel like he was trying to offset the likelihood that she would bond with Arya or Bran that he wants to foment the differences between them as opposed to letting them bond. And, and I don't know. I think it's a really tough position to be in because you're right. He he's, he's pushing her in weird directions, but I feel like he's trying to make her, I think he's trying It's interesting. When you look at his dialogue, it's like, he's trying to be really supportive of her oh, you're leading the people and you're doing a great job and you're the lady of Winterfell. But at the same time, he's asking questions that are leading, that are suggesting to her, letting her come to a conclusion that is paranoid. Maybe she's not doing a good job. Maybe these maybe these guys will turn on a moment's notice. And maybe, you know, maybe they're really just listening to her for the moment because John's not there, but maybe they shouldn't. You know, I don't know. It's interesting. And, You're right, but, though. But, it's very inconsistent. We don't know exactly what his game is. Yeah, but, but I mean, I think that's by design, right? We shouldn't. But I just don't understand how he thinks any maneuvering or any uh, shenanigans can really take the North away from John. I just – that that is a leap of staggering proportions unless he just thinks John's going to get killed. Um, but I just – you know, or maybe he would be, maybe he would just be happy if Sansa ran off to the Vale with him, and that's really if that's really his motivation, then that makes a lot more sense to me. If it's, well, I, I think he was reading the room with the northern uh, the northern lords, yeah, and I think that's... he saw that they were willing to get behind John when he was being this rallying, charismatic leader. But as soon as he says, "Hey guys, I'm going to drop everything and head down and talk to the." you know, the progeny of the people have, that have betrayed my family repeatedly. Um, well, and not to jump right ahead, but I do think yeah. that yeah. the lords are going to have some shit to say about the fact that John's bending the knee here, definitely. Oh, hey, yes, yes. But, yeah, but look, when the if I was in Winterfell and two dragons decided to fly over in a low crawl, uh, or any dragon flew over for a low <laughs> crawl fly by, I, I would shit my pants, right? Yes. So, so, um, okay, so... And, but, this, but, but, they, but they took the wildlings in. They were willing to follow John to take the wildlings in. That's true. I mean, I mean they throw away understand? thousands of years of tradition for that. Right. I mean, that's hardcore. I mean, yeah. that, 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 
they were pillaging and conquering and raping and, you know, atrocity after atrocity. It was basically Israel and Palestine reconciling and saying we're going to unite under one king. I mean, yeah. that 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 is a staggering accomplishment relative to the little piddly whisperings of Littlefinger. True, but we have seen more than one example of John believing that people have his back because of his altruism and then he gets quite literally stabbed in the back because of it. So <laughs> yeah, that is yeah, true. And the front yes. and the front and the quarter sides, yeah. But but I, but I think flanks. I think John, John's in a little bit of a more tactical and strategic position of strength than he was at the Night's Watch. That's absolutely true. So getting to the 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 Scooby doing in this sequence <laughs> This whole I thought that's what you were that, talking about this whole time. <laughs> no, no, this straight up Telenova sequence. Yeah, where he makes this really thing. So thanks for that that you brought Sansa. Thanks you. I'm gonna go now. I'm gonna go in yeah. and then I'm gonna come back out. It's cool. I'm gonna go get some oatmeal, and then <laughs> she does her little sneak and sneak, cruises it's around. It's cool then. It's gruel, not oatmeal. It's gruel. Yeah, yeah. And then and then and then reaches into the mattress and and instead of it being play wench, it's you know this this scroll that was left oh, for her to find. Play wench is. The I best. loved, I loved the image of him in the in in the gloom watching her leave, but I kept thinking she's not going to buy that, she's not going to take that seriously. She's going to know she's gotten savvy enough at this point to see through people. She's going to know that she's being played. She can't be that overconfident. And as we come to see. Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. See, see, I'm, I'm still gonna, I'm gonna still write it out. We need to talk about that uh, in the next episode because yeah, there's a yeah. whole lot of WT, WTF and what was happening. What was, yeah. what bad storytelling or mystery? I don't know, but I want to get your feedback on what was really, what was the subtext of half of what was going on there because I couldn't decide what it was. Yeah, yeah, but but, yeah. but now, so this is the, if there's one thing. Well, I should, I shouldn't say that. Of the couple things that really get under my skin, it's this whole. Orient Express clue thing that they're playing out in Winterfell because they're snowbound and have nothing else to do than turn on each other. Um, and it's just so ridiculous given all the damage that they've gone through together. And, and maybe it is Littlefinger being such a master turning people against each other. Um, but it's just, I mean, yeah. I it frustrates know. the hell out of me, honestly. Yeah, but the, yeah, the, just... the, the the concept of family having problems when they're kids that only get exaggerated as they get older and they go from being petty, you know, uh, petty children having squabbles to adults with serious issues with each other. I still think that that's a tragic story that's interesting to watch. I like that they're <laughs> after their little hug, they did their bro hug, and then all of a sudden it's like, well... <laughs> Yeah. Actually, this is not your little sister anymore. This is actually something entirely different. I'm really enjoying Sansa realizing this. Man, I mean, I, it's yeah. Maybe it's just because I had issues with the character very early on, and I guess I still do. But anyway, the um, character uh, Sansa. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. She's not. I between the two, my fear is skipping ahead a little bit. My fear is that we're going to see. Arya go before we see Sansa go. No, I would rather it be no. the inverse. No. Okay, I would have said but, but, I would have said absolutely not until this last episode. But anyway, <laughs> but, in, but, but here's the thing: drawing back on that parallel, it's interesting that so the Baratheons have collapsed. The Starks are now acting a lot more like the Lannisters. 
The Dargarans are coming into their true power, but uh, appear to have some fatal cuckoo flaws, um, and probably from generations of inbreeding. And and it's this hybrid, if you will, that appears to be kind of keeping it together. But it's uh, it's and then of course you have the uh, the Greyjoys, which are just a you want to talk about oatmeal. That's... Okay, but do you think? Do you? Th- I mean, you've said this now a couple of times. I heard that oatmeal reference. I, I you've said a couple of times now that you are equating the the entropy in the Stark family with the Lannisters. Yes, and I'm not sure I buy that because on the face of it, yes, there's internal conflict, but that's more about a storytelling component to show that these family dynamics are complicated. That said, the Lannisters have been top down trained by their parents to be. Mm-hmm. Vipers biting each other, mm-hmm. and they have deliberately and wickedly undercut each other. Yep. Top down, backwards and forwards, the Lannisters have reached a point where they are just just attacking each other. And okay. that it's and and the Starks, we have a family where the the parents are killed off, who are no or well, certainly certainly Ned was very altruistic, although he made some questionable choices. Caitlin oh, was a loving mother no, who questioning <laughs> questionable choices. Essentially, the, the progeny of the Stark family is comprised of people who then each of them went off and became influenced by someone else. Right. That's except exactly for, my point. Except for Rob, who patterned himself after what he thought Ned was and then met a similar sort of fate. Right. Right. But each of the That's other ones kind of. They developed. They developed a sense of, of they had they had their same attitude about dad, but they've they've grown up under very different circumstances. So I don't see them as much eating each other alive the way the Lannisters do, as much as becoming. They're so different in the way that they've spread out into the world and formed. That are they really the family anymore? Do they really have those relationships anymore the way these other clans do? And I feel like they really don't. So. Very compelling position. Let me offer a counter position. Um, In the wheel, right? It's a wheel, right? Obviously. And so as it goes around, the folks get different exposure and they become different roles. As we see, you know, when they're passing the the King of Thrones around like a a really, you know, poopy chair to sit in. Um, (laughs) and, uh, And so the Lannisters have their issues that get promulgated over time. And they get worse over time, and then they change and morph over time. The Targaryens had the same thing, that they have an arc and a fall, you know, yeah. arc, rise, fall. And I think the same thing happened to the Starks, which may be from a different core and right. foundation, but go through the same arc through the wheel and get tortured as a result of going through that curvature. And I so, do feel like the males in the Starks, if maybe the maybe the core is different but you're right maybe they are maybe it's this recurring theme of altruistic good guy behavior is unwise and it and it's and it leads to bad things happening because the male the male stark children who or at least people who think they are stark children follow in ned's footsteps making the same types of choices that are not very smart in terms of their survival so I'm, i'm just saying that that as you go through pain and suffering and exposure to reality, it changes you, it anneals you. And, yeah. and, and I, the, you know, I agree, the degree and, and to extent and magnitude of it and the infighting and, and absolute slaughter 
uh, isn't the same between the Starks and Lannisters. It is it is interesting when you start back from season one, right. and they're this you know happy-go-lucky family, and you know they're, they're really a tight-knit group, and then they find the dire wolves, and oh by the way, what the fuck happened to them? Um, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> the budget was shifted. Polygon <laughs> right? budget was shifted. It's you know, hard to make CG doggies, okay? <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. We got polar bears. We got great dragons. Symbol. We got polar bears, we got dragons, you know, we don't have wolves. But, um, but, they, but they, were a good symbol, they were a good symbol of the tragic story of the Starks, which right. this whole thing felt like that's what this was about, at least the way it started, and was so, watching the Stark family become undone by the by the manipulation of these other forces. And I wouldn't and say their, their, their sense and of their what's own, wrong and right. Right, and their own, and their own actions, right. So I, I would change it. I would use a different word than undone. I would say changed. Mm-hmm. At a fundamental level, because when Arya comes across her direwolf and it doesn't recognize her and says, I'm going to keep going on in my own way, I think that is a testament to how far they have changed Absolutely. from where they yeah. are to where they, where they were to where they are. And so that, that arc, I think, is very compelling, and I think it adds another layer of granularity to watch out what you wish for and because you but there was no what you hate. But the, but the idea that... I mean, you were saying that the Starks are following the same pattern as the the no, entropic no. pattern as the yeah. Lannisters. It's just a different core of of, of their un, of their of their change. And I would say that it's a bigger theme in this whole show that these families are complicated and they're people with issues. And it's this tragedy that's happening on in all the houses at the same time. Right. It's being told in different ways because there's not right. a single house on the show that hasn't had this sort of structure between the kids and the parents. Right. right, and the only and the only winning move is to break the wheel because as you go through the wheel and as you go up the chain, you become what you hate. And if you're a true believer and altruistic, you get killed. And only the slimiest of the slimiest get to ascend. And it's actually a descent, not an ascent. So you know what I uh, what I always imagine whenever they make the references to the wheel, it's uh, it's the giant uh, wheel that Conan had to push to begin the first movie. <laughs> Every time, like, you know, literal. I want to hear the lamentations of the women, you know? Uh, yeah, that's a very interesting uh, connection. I would have not have gone there, but that's very interesting. Well, all right. So, all right, guys. We're, 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 we're only there's, two there's locations in. Conan. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think we should move now? past Winterfell now to yep. Old Town because we're, yeah. we're, we're getting a little deep into the woods here. It may take us about six hours to make it through both episodes here. <laughs> You're up. Oh, don't worry. We're gonna be like we're gonna be like Game of Thrones itself. We're gonna build up, and then in the the we're gonna cover like the last ninety minutes of material in five minutes or less. Yes, the longest episode of <laughs> the series we're do in ten minutes. All right, so Blake, take us through Old Town. Thought I was a guest speaker. I didn't have to do this. Okay, but in, okay. but in Old Town, you're not. You've you've been on more than once. Now you're not a guest speaker anymore. <laughs> okay, so you're like Ian Glenn. You're you you're. And featuring Blake's Your name's in the credits. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah, so, but we're going to go straight to the Citadel in Old Town, correct? Yes. Yes. So what's very interesting in in Eastwatch that I find is that, uh, and it was very telling in some of the other comments that were made. So you start off, and and, uh, Samuel is lamenting his fate still, and he's got, you know, some some cred from uh, (laughs) curing things. But then uh, he walks into the group with the elders and uh, has a little bit of an epiphany about what his true role is and what his 
uh, place in the overall hierarchy is. And, and what did folks think of that scene as it played out? Yeah, I thought that they could have handled this scene a little better. What's his role in the story? Yeah. Because we've had a lot of misdirection here. At one point, he seemed to be the guy who's writing all this down. He's right. the he's the archmaester to the archmaesters. He's going to be the future guy who's telling this story. Other times, it seems like his role was to cure Jorah. And other mm-hmm. times, it seemed like his role was to find the dragon glass mountain, which had been referenced before, which was great. <laughs> right. Yes. And now, we've had the big slam Alabama with the with the maesters, and they blow him off. And I understand that's fairly consistent with the way they've been and the hubris mm-hmm. of these the the educated elite, which has parallels mm-hmm. in the yes. world. The overconfidence of the educated elite. That said. Was this whole thing to get Gilly <laughs> to be the one who drops a ship that he doesn't see? I don't know exactly. But what do you think about the, the nature of uh, Ebros, Archmeister Ebros, played mm-hmm. cunningly by Jim Broadbent, by the way, mm-hmm. um, as kind of understanding what needs to be done, understanding the limitations of his own role, and then kind of giving Samwell the... He's trying to arm and load Samwell with enough information to go out and do what he knows needs to be done, but it can't be He's not going to do it in the Citadel. Right. right. Yeah, do you think he's right? doing that? Do you think he's pushing Sam to go do what he needs to do instead of staying there? I, th- th- I that think That would so. be my bet. That I, I actually think he, he sees the patterns, he knows what's going on, and he knows that um, they can't do it. His hands are tied by the old structure. man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think that's... So, Definitely possible. But there's been there's a lot of those... comment. But there's a lot of comment online about the fact that they keep talking about how they're the ones that people will listen to about things like a supernatural centuries old uh, rumor of, you know, boogeymen in the night and what, you know, what could be happening. And the question is, do they really have that power or not in, in the world the way the world has changed? And they certainly that's have my, the confidence. That's my confidence. thought is I really think Broadbent or what Ebros really does know that the world at large isn't relying as heavily on the Maesters as they used to. Which is a great which is a great metaphor and euphemism for science in the twenty first century in the United States. Absolutely. But anyway, but but what I <laughs> but what I do feel is that there are some and maybe I'm just reading too much into it because uh, I, I'm a scientist, and so I would think that if I knew what was going on, I'd find a way to make it happen no matter what. But some of the looks that Ibros and Samuel share and some of the mm-hmm. things that Samuel is expecting, especially after the stone skin incident, um, you know, I, I, I think there's a recognition within the Meisters that they are held by pedagogy into a box mm-hmm. and uh, and until they get direct incontrovertible proof that forces them off of their asses which is I think going to happen next episode yeah um, uh, I, meaning the season finale not the the next one we're going to be talking about but I think <laughs> there is I think getting some free agents that can initiate change that are unencumbered by expectations and roles is very powerful and I think I do too you take a look at what Ebros has 
expose Samuel to, what he's given him as advice, the, the notion that, okay, for the stone skin, we told you not to do it, you broke the rules, but gosh darn it, good job, um, means that you have a degree of freedom living outside the system than within it that gives him some empowerment to go out and do what he feels is right. Well, right. he's not, um, he seems kind of kindly, but he's not, I mean, he's, he's being manipulative. He admits that he knows that Samwell's family was just destroyed and, and, he, tell him on and he does not tell yeah. them. Right. And he does not tell him. And why do you think that is? Because he knows that he needs to be motivated to go out and do what he needs to do and not be mopey and you know, sad crushed and before hiding he, in the not library. to have his momentum be crushed by a fear that what could he possibly do if his whole family was just killed right. or do something stupid like rush off and try and yeah you know, take a header well, and I think up, too right? I think I think he might be concerned that that Samwise might turn against the people with the dragons that might be the only chance of stopping the mm-hmm. on threat as well very good point yeah I just don't think there's, I think there's a major really current here. I just think there's a major current here of in the in the narrative of the folly of overconfidence of educated people who think they know better and they think they have the long view and let's not get too worried about the increasing uh, you know tensions in the world and radicalism and cultural change and well in the big picture it's going to be fine it's going to be fine let's be smart about this we know what this is a cycle and we'll go I feel like there is a um, I feel like that's being challenged in the way that yep. the maestros are being shown as um, as a very flawed system mm-hmm. but, but I will also point out that it was very in- interesting that uh, <laughs> it also brings up the point of the uneducated just following their gut. <laughs> the danger associated with that. Um, you know, over and over and over again, we've seen people like, huh, that seems like a good idea. It's flat. And, uh, and so it's, it, it's just like real life. Like you have folks on multiple ends of the spectrum, near and extreme. Uh, and when they make uh, uninformed decisions, they end up paying the consequences. Mm-hmm. Chris, do you want to take us into the next? Oh, no, no. Wait, wait. Oh, do, do I get to wait a minute. We, we didn't even... Yeah, yeah, we haven't oh, yeah, even that's... touched on the Sorry. bomb that she dropped there. How, yeah. how do you guys feel about that being confirmed that way? No, but that was perfect. And the mansplaining and the, huh, okay, that's great. <laughs> you want to go leave? Uh, that was just beautiful. Yes. <laughs> well, and so going back to the thing about... No, but so going back to the thing about the... Um, the educated elite overconfidence feeling like they know everything about everything. And Mm -hmm. then of course it's the wildling that was taught to read a few seasons ago who stumbles across, even if she doesn't understand the, the, the importance of it, she gets a sense that there's something weird about it, but it happens to be, this is the character that figures this out because I mean, it's, it's a narrative conceit, but it was interesting. It was a deliberate choice that she's the one because he's found the dragon glass thing. And you know, he's, and the thing I love about it, too, is that Gilly is the one character on this show that is blatant enough in the way she does things that if she's introduced to Daenerys and John at the same time, she's going to be like, oh, you're his aunt, kind of yeah. thing. 
Exactly. I mean, well, anyone also, else I understand would this... immediately think of the political ramifications instead of just keeping it. Right. <laughs> but it, but as I understand it, this is well beyond anything that was uh, implied in the books to date. Right. Correct. Well, the, the, well I mean, it was implied, but it was never confirmed. The new, but yeah. the annulment is the new thing. Correct. Yes. The, the nature of the relationship was always implied in the books, to, as I understand it. But. Yeah. The idea that it could have been legitimized and therefore that John would have a, a tighter claim to the throne than Daenerys is a show thing. Right. Yeah, that's a that's a bombshell, honestly. Well, I mean, and I think you're exactly right, Chris, that she'll probably drop the bomb right after they uh, they have bomb? an intimate moment they have together. Cave time. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know nothing, Jon Snow. The, um, <laughs> but but what I also found hilarious, and this is just me being a a, a negative. Nelly here. So Samuel goes loose and goes to, you know, the Library of Congress or Alexandria, whichever you want to put out there. And he just appears to be grabbing shit off the racks by random. And is he even unlocking them? I feel like the chains weren't even on them anymore. No, but, but, well, I but think he, he, the ones that were inside the gate in a room. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All oh, right. But it's just like. You know, Doctor Strange, the, the thing that I hated the most was that he just materializes and just grabs shit out of the air and just doesn't even pay attention to what it actually is. Um, the uh, I just don't understand how he knows what he wants to steal and what the value is. Well, my assumption there is that the last time he was in that room, he kind of scoped it out and kind of picked out which books might have something worth grabbing. Okay, and so it's... books. Books, fine. Rolls of papyrus sticking up to the roof. That, he put post-it I mean, notes what? on them. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> he, he subtly wrinkled the corner of the one that he would come back to. <laughs> it was the narrative shorthand of grab your crap, we're going to war. So the thing is that I would have appreciated if he would have been sequestering this stuff that he found and thought was potentially valuable into a corner. And he just went yes. to the corner, grabbed it, and went. Yeah, two I minutes... Could, Showing him collecting that stuff the previous day or something would have been all they needed to do for that. It would have been great. Right. Because it, yeah. <laughs> That's just like, what? They don't have a Dewey Decimal System. What? Uh, <laughs> what? There's a little White Walker drawn on the spine of all of them that deals with it. It's right. fine. Do if, you're no flake. Right. if you're not ruining the apocalypse, come here. Grab this one. <laughs> apocalypse, uh, apocalypse, comma, winter. There were a lot of tweets after this episode that were like, Dear Diary, what a day. I saw it because it's so like it's his personal diary. <laughs> what a trip. A secret annulment, annulment and secret marriage of the leaders of our kingdom. Trippy, right? Anyway, oatmeal. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So glad I'm not cleaning bedpans anymore. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, but I mean, yeah, anyway, I'll have to have that... a lovely reunion with dad and brother. <laughs> the barbecue. No, but that's the way that, that that's the way the, the information <laughs> barbecue. Oh, God. <laughs> Sorry, Tom. I just had to throw that in there. Crispy bits. I'm saying that it, I'm saying this bombshell is in the personal notes of a maester that's affecting the kingdom. And he's like, well, this is trippy. Yeah, he doesn't tell anyone. It's not, you know, this is just like, well, dear diary, this is what happened. I and genuinely kind of don't think. I don't think Samuel heard that at all. I think he was no, he did oblivious it. to what she said. Because it was, it was, it was sandwiched in between the one thousand fifty-two steps and files right. of shit or whatever. And how yeah, I know, I've, had, yeah. 
certainly zoned out on my wife talking about things before like that. <laughs> but that's exactly so. Yeah, I don't. I've never done that. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh... <laughs> Whatever, you guys. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So should we move on to Dragonstone then? Oh, there's more. No. <laughs> yes, Dragonstone. So Daenerys returns from the barbecue and lets Jon get all up in Drogon's scales, which was kind of cool. Uh, then Jorah returns also. They have all this stuff happen on the beach, apparently. Like, that's... Yeah. I, 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 do you think they just filmed all of the beach scenes all at once? Like, they just <laughs> spent one afternoon on the beach and spent, like, did an entire season's worth of beach scenes? Or they just spent the whole time just walking up and down the beach greeting people. <laughs> if they were if they were smart, they did it all in one fell swoop. But this yeah. is a public health statement. This is a public health statement, everyone. If you have a highly communicable disease and you found a miracle cure, but you're still mm. patient zero, don't go around <laughs> hugging and kissing everyone. Just right. a little note for self. Right. Just, you know, let's 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 urge some caution here before you think you just go out willy nilly grabbing people and you know touching them. I was sick just of that. Give me a yeah. kiss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a little, what? little. She didn't even. Off. She didn't even check him out. She didn't have a cursory no. inspection. No, she didn't even be like, "Hey, lift your your cuff up." You, she was just like, "You've got some color in your cheeks. You must be cured." <laughs> underneath uh, you look like un- underneath you look like the thing, but obviously you're okay in your face, so it's okay. Yes, clearly. Uh, and, and then right. John and Davos and Daenerys have a meeting. And they decide to do the whole bank vault robbery scene where one of them's like, I have a certain set of skills. I also have a set of skills. <laughs> and <laughs> But none of them match, so let's go do this. <laughs> yes. Well you go plan this. We'll go we'll go heist us ourselves a white. <laughs> oh boy. Well, wait, wait. <laughs> I'm gonna stop. Nope. <laughs> Are you proposing that the white snatching is a far-fetched, <laughs> expedited oceans connection? Yeah, of all the ways to convince them that there's a problem, diving willy-nilly into a, 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 a batch of thousands of things that want to kill you to grab one. <laughs> Snowshin's eleven. Yes, D- and <laughs> and oh, by the way, we're going to form the A team, and <laughs> right. we're, we're, we're da, da, da. surrounded by a bunch of red shirts. And good luck. How I, I, do you guys really think this is going to work? Is really my question. Like, so can I? Can I? Just somebody shows up here? with a dragon, and they're going to be convinced by the dead guy in a sack. So we're throwing some of the euphemisms out here. I just got to bite my tongue. But anyway, the. Um, <laughs> The uh, this is a so right now with this episode at that point in time this is the major issue I had with Lord of the Rings, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, if you have access to giant flying eagles, mm-hmm. <clears throat> that that you, you one have, does not simply walk into Mordor. Right? Hey, okay, let's fly the fuck over eagles, it. Uh, eagles <laughs> don't leave their Wi-Fi range. It's well respected and known. <laughs> Now the, you're confusing the veil with the airy, okay? So, uh, so if the eagles can fly, you know, Frodo to, you know, Mount Doom, 
and get it over in one fell swoop. Why not take a dragon over Eastwatch and just do surveillance recon and find out the truth? Right. <laughs> right. Absolutely. But that's but that's suggesting that that Danny needed sorry, Daenerys needed convincing. And she at least at some level believes him at this point. This right. was all he about has to, the yeah. even, but this is the the even more um, obtuse idea that by bringing a white to King's Landing, they will convince Cersei to cease this hostility and and uh, and unify the kingdoms against this greater threat. Which, but, yeah, even though they give pillow talk to like, well, we know that she's going to try to betray us, and this is really a shitty plan, and all this, I still can't wrap my head around. <laughs> I can't either. It just makes no sense. It's like Mission Impossible without the plot or character development, and uh, <laughs> which, which is basically what Mission Impossible was with Tom Cruise. But anyway, the, um, <laughs> but so you're telling me a dragon can't swoop down like any hawk or eagle and grab a whole bunch of dead things and bring them back and drop them off in a in a pit? Right. Is that really is that really the state of technology with dragon riding? Yeah, it's. I mean, your only real logic in being okay with it is with the understanding that Daenerys needs convincing as much as Cersei does, and that's clearly not the case by the second episode where she's like, "Oh, got to peace out, got to go rescue him." I just well, but, it okay, doesn't but, make any sense. But just just like doing aerial recon, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, you've, you've got dragons and they're flying all over the gosh darn place. Why not take him up to Eastwatch and and see what's what? And, yeah, and then why didn't just and then why ludicrous. wasn't Bran sending Ravens out telling him, you know, the exact coordinates of where the Night King was? Yeah, there's definitely ways they could have coordinated things much better. <laughs> well, this is this is the point at which in this episode and it leads into the next one where I was having trouble allowing the time space jumping see and I I don't know how I feel about that because Dragonstone and Eastwatch are relatively close close. yeah on the map they're pretty close Mm. but those those ravens are must be like on meth yeah, because like I can understand like the dragon because that 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 thing's fast and it's big, and once it gets its wings ago, and I'm sure it's super speedy. But those ravens, yeah, there's got to be some limitation there. <laughs> well, let's not let's bring up the fact people are trying to hold on to them. Yeah, they're trying to hold on to those dragons while they're flying. Well, the whole that. raven conceit. Actually, I have a really difficult time with that anyway, because there's just like. I mean, how many ravens does Eastwatch hang out with that go to Dragonstone? I mean, <laughs> I assume that they're like carrier pigeons where they have to have one that's trained to go to one place. They can't just be like, you go to Dragonstone. You remember that one. That's the tall one with all the stairs, right? The beach. And the ravens. Well, yeah, so, so, so. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. By the way, <laughs> the maester at the watch died. Exactly. Yeah, and wasn't so, replaced. And wasn't replaced. So who's who's riding the ravens? Who's doing the raven riding in the first place? It's it's clearly one of the wildlings because isn't the East Watch being run by wildlings at this point? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. They are. Well, except with Jorah. Jorah's there. All right. You know, at the on at the beginning of the scene, we had this wonderful thing where Drogon 
leaned down, looked at John, and then he reached out and he touched the nose and it was this awesome thing. And mm-hmm. I was sitting there thinking, if you're just going to roll with how to train your dragon, why don't you at least get those saddles and stuff and all the strappity straps and all those things that make it even somewhat plausible that someone can hang right. on to a dragon doing maneuvers, right? Well, but anyway. even more than that, it, it would address a lot of the tactical concerns about, oh, the dragon riders getting hit with an arrow through the heart. You know, it'd be great if you could actually treat them like a war elephant and have like an apparatus and some armor that goes with it that doesn't inhibit motion or communication. It would just make a lot more sense, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's really kind of inexplicable when you think about it, how just how this whole thing was no, but this whole thing was get get this get the get the Magnificent Seven together and go on this go on this mission. And that's <laughs> where it, this episode went deep dive into the AD&D campaign because it yeah. was 100% that, right? Well, yeah. And I will say some of the plot payoffs in the character development and oh, yes. uh, Clegane in particular and a lot of others, <laughs> it set the stage up beautifully. But again, it's a plot vehicle just like Lord of the Rings that instead of three books, it could have been written in like a, a pamphlet. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, and similarly, the Hobbit film becoming two, three. Yeah, that three. Yeah, I three. still haven't watched that, but it's three. <laughs> and and fifty oh. percent of it was made up, not in no, the book. Yeah. Well, anyway, I can't say that I didn't enjoy this whole thing, though. I love them all gathering up to do this, even though I hated the plan. Mm-hmm. Um, I just like the pairing of all these people together, yeah. given how. And in the second episode, or in the next episode um, that we theoretically talk about tonight, they actually directly address the fact that everybody knows everybody else's dad and each other and have a right. lot of conflict about it. But it was just a really interesting group group of, of player characters to gather for one adventure. Agreed. Right? Agreed. I, thought, I, I thought from that band of the hand perspective, it yes. was awesome. Yes, 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 yes. Hey, we're getting the band back together. Let's it, go do totally, some shit. Totally. <laughs> And then also the other thing about this was we also saw Davos bring uh, Gendry back. Yes. Gendry. Gendry, not Gendry, right? Gendry. 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 And we had this thing where we have another uh, – Joanna Robinson was pointing out how this whole season, last season too, but this season especially, is like they've decided that the way they're going to bookend this is to do callbacks to season one constantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, I don't, which I think is – I like that, but – some people have problems with it. This was this was a direct reference to Ned and uh, Robert seeing yep. each other for the first time in a long mm-hmm. time and making comments on how each other have changed physically since they last saw them and ribbing each other a little bit and then being pals. Yeah, you got so that. here they are like, you're, you're, <laughs> yeah, you're you're skinny, you're short. Do we just become best friends? Yep, <laughs> you know. Your mother dresses was so you funny. Your mother dresses you funny. And you smell of elderberries. And I realize now that that actually was in the next episode, but in this episode is when Davos it was. gets him and says, look, we just saved some time. Yeah, He gets him Not really. and says, hey, dude, you know, I need to convince you of this whole this whole journey we got to make and take you out of your. And I thought the whole purpose of bringing him back was we need someone to forge weapons. And maybe that still is the case. But nope. I just <laughs> I just love that. He was like, "Yep, got it. Right here's my here's my go bag and my." Well, that was hammer. last episode. Was this so episode hilarious. is where this this episode was where John 
met Gen- uh, Gendry, where they met up, and and Davos was like, "No, don't tell him who you are." And they show up in Gendry. That was like, brilliant. That was brilliant. Yo, actually. bro. <laughs> and actually, actually, that scene with uh, Tyrion and Jonah going back to King's Landing, there was a whole lot of content there that we just kind of glossed over, but it was one of the best, uh, certainly the best Jonah-Tyrion uh, scene uh, that we've, we've, we've had ever. So it was, yeah. uh, it was a lot, especially when he's talking about the last time I saw you, you killed my sons at Winterfell or King's Landing. That's right. That's right. <laughs> right. So It's um, really weird. The Wikipedia notes that we're loosely following as a structure for this have they make reference to in this episode both Davos returning from King's Landing with Gendry and sorry, introducing Davos. him? Sorry, I'm a subtle screw up. Sorry, no, no, but they say he brought him back and introduces him to John and he opened and joins the excursion, all that stuff, which is true. But also, they also say in the King's Landing section that we're about to talk about that Davos locates Gendry and and oh, that's odd. And so now I've lost track. Did that happen at the beginning of the episode? No, and, no, no, the... no, no, it was at the end. No, that was at the the last no. episode that they brought it's in the last back episode. With the whole wait, wait, are we talking about East Watch the... or Beyond the Wall? East Watch, right? In the notes for East Watch, it says it's they got the whole thing about the gold cloaks discovering them and the fermented crab and the whole yeah. thing and the warhammer. Yeah. So, but that was that last that episode. Really Jeez. That actually happened before the Citadel, right? <laughs> so, I think what's happening maybe was it in the beginning of this episode or was it last it must episode? Have been. The... Because I think oh, no, the it was here, this episode because it was in the middle. Yeah, they got together, they had their Ocean's Eleven talk, then Davos and Tyrion go off to talk to Jaime. They get in the book, they come back. So yeah, this is all the same episode, it's just... And and I think the problem here is because it's location-based, it's being pooled by location, but the show is now jumping back and forth from those locations throughout the episode. So that's why our our timeline is as screwy as the show's at this point. Well, you know, (laughs) but we also also completely uh, didn't talk about... Cersei dropping the bombshell that she's pregnant with Jamie's baby okay. again, right? All right, so we're in King's Landing now. Jesus, was that this and episode this too? Big, Good God, yes. man. <laughs> so now we're, but, but, now, but now we're going Oops. back because we talked about the Gang of Eight or the whatever. Um, and now we're going back to the middle. Okay, so in King's Landing, Jamie has come back from the battle at the Rose Road and said, mm-hmm. we're screwed. And Cersei's, yes. and he even says, by the way, and she's all, you know, they killed my kids and blah, blah, blah. And he says, well, actually, Elena Terrell did. did yeah, I was surprised he told her. That actually really did genuinely surprise me. And and she's, and and instead of being, taking a beat and saying, well, maybe this is the moment where I start thinking about this. All it does is turn her into, well, we should have killed her. We, I, yeah. I shouldn't have listened to you. And that fork, that growing fork between them is very interesting, whether it goes in the prophecy direction of the books, which I like, or whether it's just watching how much she's will, she's isolating herself from everyone. Mm-hmm. I thought it's very interesting that she didn't even bat an eye at it. Like all that mattered in that delivery of information was that she missed an opportunity to be more cruel to that woman. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I thought that was really kind of fascinating. And then at the same time, we have the, the big confrontation between Tyrion and Jaime, where they're met, they're brought in the catacombs, and Bronn shows this this surprise reveal that they're being brought together to have this discussion that Tyrion has has planned, and he convinces Jaime to go to Cersei and convince her to allow 
Daenerys to bring right. evidence of a threat from the north and to hear him out and somehow not go into full battle. And Jamie is saying, well, I will, I will manage Cersei. And Tyrion saying, well, I will manage Daenerys. And they walk away. And immediately it's each side is like, well, of course, they're going to betray us. And Right. But so, so here, here's my thing. I think what was unsaid and what we didn't see is going to turn out to be so much important than what we did. Mm-hmm. Tell me. Because the, 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 whole, the whole conversation around the father and the understanding that Joffrey died not by Tyrion's hand and the reconciliation of that and then and the whole fact that Jamie just got his ass blasted by a dragon. Um, and so maybe there's a willing suspension of disbelief that all things... Uh, vicarious and evil are the human. I think. Hang on a second. I have to look up on Sugar DVD ass blasting by a dragon because I think that there's. Oh no! It, it's a great bar in Hong Kong. Anyway, <laughs> the um, <laughs> or so I've heard. The yeah, uh, sure. <laughs> but the I, I think what was unsaid, and so this is a new thing that's happening now in Game of Thrones, that at least to my perspective and understanding that what we don't see is as important as what we do and it only manifests itself farther down the timeline and actually i find that very um compelling yeah and so this is another conversation that i you know there is no way it was a five minute conversation right Right. this had a like when my sister and i meet and we have issues if we come heart to heart it's going to be at least a two-hour you know blow so right this was a shorthand yeah uh point that we're seeing but there's more to this than we're that we're given than we've been given access to and and there's also and also a a key piece of information here was that kyburn is using the the his 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 fingers or whatever what are they called his little birds or sparrows sparrows. kyburn is is aware of this plot to to have this meeting and has told her in advance and she let it happen Yep. And then confronts Jamie in this really creepy, cold thing where she's questioning what else she is. She was going to bring out Bronn's corpse at that scene. Totally sure thought that, that was going to corpse was just going to get drug out, yeah. Absolutely. So that what was interesting about it, though, <laughs> once again, but talking about things we don't see, once again, yeah. Iburn is really busy cooking up some nasty shit. Yeah. He's, he knows things. He's on top of stuff. He's advising her, but we never see him advise her. Other than right. like, hey, check out, look what I can do to a to a dragon skull. And then, Generally, oh, by the way, we see him come and go and kind of have that look. And we don't know what he's up to. Right. And now we have scorpions mounted on wagons that you pull two strings and they pop up like a fucking, you know, catapult yeah. on a twin 50 and tick a tick a tick a tick. So <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it, 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 and the, the season finale here is going to be really great. Well, and the takeaway from that was because no one's yeah the events of the next episode have just happened, so that's not common right. knowledge in the realm. But after after so many episodes of ravens not being sent for obvious things, like hey from the from the wall, Bran's coming. He's got some important news. And by the way, you know yeah. <laughs> all that stuff. Now we have ravens going at the speed of light everywhere. So <laughs> the while you are out faxes are really important not to miss. Yes. Right. So I think that the important takeaway all of your notes. (laughs) Well, the the important takeaway from the loop sequence from the last episode is that the dragons are it's it's Uh, proof uh, uh, proof uh, people that dragons uh, can be hurt. uh, 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 In the last episode, 
Yeah. Prior to the one we're talking about. Yes. At the Rose Road, <laughs> a dragon was injured. Yes, but it was it was like a, a flesh wound. But but people saw a dragon get hit by a spear. Yep. So yes. that is proof of concept that the scorpion works, which means do like the the like Euron, go build a thousand between scenes. In Twelve days. Yeah. <laughs> in, in a land that doesn't have any trees left. Yes. Uh, <laughs> right. As you do. So you can yeah. right. make them out of here. Right. Make them out of peat moss and mud. It still works. Yes. 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 <laughs> All right. So finally so finally we have Eastwatch by the Sea. And we have everybody gathered together dun, and they meet dun, dun, Tormund, dun, and they say, dun, We're gonna do the thing, let's go do the thing, and they head off into the snow, and everyone says next episode is going to make us all feel better. Except it's it it turns out to be the hateful eight with uh, something else. Yes. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Any other thoughts on uh, on East Watch? You know what? Now that we talked about it, I actually like this episode more than when I first watched it. I really enjoyed it. I <laughs> thought it was I have no problems with table settings when when they're interesting scenes. Yeah. No, I think I mean, that's think fair. about the days we, we, we complain about the fact that it's accelerated, but on the other hand, we used to have whole seasons of drinking wine. Yeah. So, but, yeah. And, and, and the whorehouses <laughs> have just fallen completely by the wayside. The, um, right. the, so the thing that I really liked about the scene in uh, Eastwatch was John kind of summarizing it and, and coalescing it into a common, very simple right. statement. It's us versus them because we're still alive. That's right. And I know you're yes. on my team because you still have a heartbeat. And that you're kind of simplicity, breathing. right, that, that kind of simplicity, uh, I think, is going to be how they coalesce and condense all these very complicated plot lines that have developed over time, that when the shit hits the fan, um, and, and this is like tropical storm feces, uh, <laughs> that I think that litmus test is actually going to be very pervasive and very indicative of where things go, which gets me well, to that's Littlefinger. been John's whole thing. John's whole thing this whole time. Right, but Littlefinger, right? He's like a gnat on the ass of, you know, a rabid bull. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I'll just shut up. I like, I like Littlefinger. You know that. You like but Littlefinger? John's, oh, man. Yeah, John's whole thing... <laughs> Is, by the way, we need to talk about the opening credits, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm losing both of you guys. Um, John's whole quick, thing quick, quick. has been: if I can e earnestly convince people enough about the bigger picture threat here, they'll put aside their bullshit and realize it's the living versus the dead, and move on. Which, again, in the next episode that we're going to talk about, was literally in the dialogue. <laughs> He thinks, and he's, he's like, that's his gamble because that's all he has. He's not being right. strategic about how he can convince people, or, you know, he's not taking the approach that Daenerys initially took, which was, well, okay, I'll take the kingdom and then I'll support you. He's, well, I mean, John, John is a blunt saying, force instrument. He's not a, he a he's not a fine tuned thing. <laughs> Look, he's so, just Bernie, he's just Bernie Sanders with better hair. He really is. He <laughs> yeah. really is. And more knife wounds. Yeah. And I'm pretty, sure, I'm, sure that Bernie, I'm pretty sure that Bernie never had a weekend in San Luis Obispo with a like a hot tub incident like beneath the mountain and you know nothing Bernie Sanders. Uh, this has gone <laughs> so well, I've again, heard Bernie Sanders does have some on. amazing abs though. <laughs> whatever website you're on, man, I don't even All right, so that's East Mansplaining.com. I think we can agree. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> did you say mansplaining or manscaping? Yes, mansplaining. Yeah, that'd, that'd be the same. A so manscaped Bernie Sanders. No, no, that's right, not so, All right, so <laughs> he likes it all let's natural. Take, let's take a short break and then we can start talking about the latest episode. Who am I? Who am I? And who are you? Who are you? Hey everyone, I just wanted to take a minute and thank you for listening to Robot Kraken so far. Hope you're enjoying these Game of Thrones review episodes. If you'd like to reach us, you can always go to robot-kraken.com or you can search for either of us on social media. Tom is available at trdl on Twitter or you can also email him with all of the contact info on the website. You can also go to deeplydapper.com and find contact information, sign up for our newsletter, or stream and download all of the past episodes of Robot Kraken. If you're enjoying the show, please review and rate us on iTunes. It helps other people find the show and makes it a little easier for our program to be found by new listeners. Thanks for listening, and back to the show. Now, sit down and shut your mouth. So the next and most recent episode is Beyond the Wall. So this is the penultimate episode in a season where every episode is the penultimate episode of a previous season. Did you guys get know all, penultimate? You know, English. It means second to last. Yes. <laughs> every previous season, the second to last episode is the money episode. And this season, no. every episode has been the money episode. <laughs> so this is the money episode. That was money the most season. obvious statement ever. <laughs> I think yes. there's someone who would probably dispute it on Twitter, though. I would, too. Yeah, I don't probably. think it's the most obvious statement ever. Like, God, chocolate good, Trump bad would be <laughs> kind of the most obvious statement ever. That's that's probably <laughs> true also. Well, so let's start off. Trump. I have two questions. First of all, did you enjoy the episode? Yes. Yes. I was tense through a large portion of this episode. And because... the fallout afterwards, the, the the walk away feeling was brutal. Yeah, it I just, made. I don't, I don't. Sorry. What? Don't be sorry. Continue no, with I, your I, statement, I, sir. So at at the end, I thought this sets a stage for a conflict that isn't asymmetrical. Yes, that it, it really sets a stage for something that is going to be a knockdown, right. drag right. out. The bad guys like have a massive thing, too. right? That this yeah. is, this stuff matters, and it's going to hurt. Yep. And anybody yeah. who thought that they could waltz through it because of a preconceived notion of tactical or strategic superiority is woefully mistaken. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. We In one fell swoop, we have undermined the superiority of the Targaryen side against King's Landing and the human side against the Night King. But yes. right. And And the fact that, yeah, so... My take, my after this episode, I sat there like, and then, and then I thought, well, I need to cleanse the palate. So I tried, so I watched a Defenders episode and we'll, we'll talk about that <laughs> another time, but I couldn't even, I'm not even not liking Defenders. I'm, I'm liking it quite a bit, but I was like, it had no dramatic resonance to me at all because I, I couldn't even concentrate on it. Because I was still so like, oh god, those final scenes. Right. So yeah. we're not, not going to put we're not going to put we're not going to put the cart before the horse and kill the driver, right? So I'm just saying, we'll that, burn it to a crisp, burn right. it into ash. Yeah, we're going yeah. not going to have a barbecue in its honor. But I will say that out of um, I will say next to Red Wedding, 
Yes. Uh, and maybe the the Stark where Ned Stark loses his head in Battle of the Bastards. This was Battle of the Bastards. Yeah. Right. The, this was one of the. This was on the top five emotionally impacting episodes. Period. Well, and also the um, the bedpan sequence that was pretty strong. <laughs> that well, this that, one was left that's rhythmic, just because of, that just induced memories in me when I was in the VA. But anyway, let's move on. <laughs> well, there's well, just so much shit for an episode where a we don't lose a beloved actor for it to have that much emotional resonance is pretty impressive when you think about it. <laughs> but this one, this one, we lost several. Right? Well, but so, okay, yeah. So, all right, and I appreciate that Ben Jen will get to him in the end, and I appreciate that that I mean, character is not the same as he is in the books. But yeah, you know. Also, okay, and when we get to the the thing, you got to tell me who are these guys that were biting it because I thought we had a very tight group of people that were they all. No, no, no. Well, the there, most of them were red there shirts. There were the seven, the were and then yeah. there were five cart draggers that came with them. Okay, okay. Because <laughs> I was trying to figure out who those guys were. I was like, yeah. when did we get all these extra guys? Yeah, no. no, no when they, you see not, them walking yeah, out of the out, gate, they're behind yeah. them. Yeah. Yep. Because Although they did reason. seem inconsistent with the number of them, I feel like. <laughs> By the way, you, you made the red shirt reference, and that has been one of my favorite memes in the last, I don't know, 24 hours is the biggest of all possible red shirts, right? Yeah, yeah. but there's no way you can take the, the Hateful Eight and send them into Apocalypse Now, and you're not going to sacrifice your character empathy and kill 50% of them off. So you have right, to add a right. buffer of some red shirts that, uh, you know, come along. I just thought – I thought it. more than – I thought that the the stakes of losing – we're jumping all around here. But the stakes of losing uh, the Red Priest is important. Uh, yeah, but we, wait, but wait, wait, surprising we, 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 we got to walk the back. one. We got to walk it back. We got to walk it back. Yeah. We got to walk it back because that – that moment is too important to just jump ahead and then jump back. All right. So go ahead. So how do you, how do you want to, how do you want to structure this conversation? Oh, so I'm going, to start off, I'm going to start off. With, I'm going to start off with your favorite character and uh, the Scooby Snack Clue episode crossover. Um, oh, so we're going to go to Winterfell here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So of course, we hold on a second. Portion I had one is... other thing. Okay. Wait a minute. What? I had one other thing, and that was I would like to have a 45 minute conversation about the opening credits and my feelings about them. So, insert. Yeah. Oh, I think no, no. I think really though about that. I just want to say I really like how they rendered uh, East Watch in the opening credits. East Watch I is really agree. cool looking at it. Yeah. I agree. But when I was looking at it, like it, I thought to myself, as soon as I raised the the opening credits thing, I, I I was imagining Chris just you know lighting his sword on fire and then sticking it through himself. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Winterfell. <laughs> I'm just saying that I thought it would go above the wall, and it didn't. Oh, in the in the map, right? Yeah, For Eastwatch. I thought it yeah. was gone. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised yeah. too. Yeah, but anyway, so in Winterfell, uh, Littlefinger continues his plot to isolate Sansa, and of course the is that, that what note... he's doing? <laughs> well, wait, wait, wait. Oh, no, but this was really uh, that way of questions here because I really don't want, I don't know what. The motivations of any of these characters were in this whole sequence. I, I think he was trying to get. Wait, wait. I think he was convincing Sansa to get rid of Brienne because he knew Brienne yeah. prevent them 
from killing each other. So, but that, that's a very interesting take on that conversation because it could have gone both ways. But anyway, let me finish the synopsis of the scene before you start shoveling on it. The <laughs> on the ship. Yes. Go ahead. Yeah. So, um, the tensions between Arya and Sansa grow mm-hmm. following that discovery so carefully and strategically placed in the bed mattress right next to, you know, surely she the red arrow on the floor. He had his never scarves pointed yeah. towards it. <laughs> Nothing to see here. Don't look here. <laughs> in neon. Like no, no, but it's like a cop pulling the driver over. It's like, whatever you do, don't look in the trunk. Um, yeah. So, really. <laughs> right? Uh, and so that's a whole sending a letter off to Rob to declare fealty to King Joffrey. And then, we, remember, uh, we remember that she was in duress when she did it, and we also and they even showed at the beginning of the episode in the yes. in the scenes that have come before a reminder that all parties that that was presented to her as the way to save her family. Her family. Yeah. Well, and I don't and get it. She because... young, and she was young and it was Littlefinger who in, initiated it and it well, was and everybody in the damn kingdom knows that she was betrothed to a Lannister and married to a Lannister. I can't imagine how this note makes a difference with their feeling at all. But what it did was it triggered the resentment that Arya has against Sansa and what she always wanted, that she wanted to be a princess in the finer things and play kingdom as opposed to being in the shit. And I think that was his motivation for, for getting it in her hands is to further amplify the differences between them in a negative way. Although, when she actually gets into that confrontation, what she's accusing her about is off the rails. Yeah, yeah isn't Arya, like, level-headed enough that she should be able to... It just doesn't make any sense to me. It's so illogical. But so, wait, uh, Arya is so driven by revenge and tainted by it, you could easily see a window, although I don't agree with it, that she sees the world as us versus them, or me versus them. Right, mm-hmm. it's her versus everyone. And, right, and so while I think the the simplistic approach to tapping into the childhood resentment between, uh, especially as described in that scene where I picked up a bow and an arrow and I was shooting at a mm-hmm. target and I had to go back and pick it up every time and pick it up every time and then I hit the target and the only one who was clapping was my dad. That that's a very compelling imagery there. But yeah, it's it's rather it's rather solipsistic in the in the fact that it equates that single moment into this continuum of of conflict with Sansa, and I don't think even when they're at King's Landing together that actually existed. But she was no. saying, she was saying in that sequence, we're told we can't do the things that, we can't be who we really are. We're told as women in this world that we have to be whatever someone else has told us what our role is. And daddy showed me that I wanted to be something different. And he was on the sly giving me the green light to be myself. And that's why I'm what I'm doing, what I'm doing now. Right. But then why would you hold that as a prejudicial statement against anybody else who wanted to be who they wanted to be and then went out and realized it? No, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. It was very confusing. Now, can we agree that he was pushing Brian? I guess we don't agree that he convinced her to send Brian Oh no, I completely agree with that. I think it was a it was a move because that conversation was so Brienne declared loyalty to the two daughters of Stark that if one of them moved against the other, then she would oppose that move. 
So that I, so at that, that point, I was thinking or assumption, right? So this is a lost I honestly kind of was a little I was confused thinking, on that. Well, this was I like a lost of... problem for me. I was thinking that that was maybe Arya as Littlefinger trying to get rid of Brienne herself. See, I don't know why Arya would want to get rid of Brienne, though, actually. I think she has a connection with Brienne. Yeah. Ah, but can I throw a, a wild card out there? No, no. Can I, please? Yes. What if, so, so that there's a scene uh, later on, well, maybe in this one, that um, the bag of faces. Yes, the sack right? of faces. Super right? creepy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what if, so just throwing it out there, just as for instance, what if Arya has already taken the face of Littlefinger? Right. And is now playing both sides of the game. Well, that's what I'm saying. At that moment, I thought that Arya was pretending to be Littlefinger and that now we're 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 being interwoven between scenes of Littlefinger attempting to manipulate Arya and Sansa, and Arya attempting to manipulate Sansa and Littlefinger as Littlefinger. And well, the that means rush Littlefinger's dead, done. though. Yeah, the only True. way that she can do that is she took the face of Littlefinger. And yeah, the that last time we saw sense. Littlefinger, but the last time we saw Littlefinger was him watching her take the note and walk away. We don't right. see him again after that, right? Right. Until this next scene, so she could have killed him in that in that span. And that's this is the same problem with the scrolls thing, right? When right. we're going to finally get scrolls with Captain Marvel. Once but you the open fact- the Pandora's box, that anybody could be not what they appear to be. But it's a, it's a wild card. <laughs> but what is what is Arya's endgame if she's playing Littlefinger against her own sister? I mean, she doesn't want to be. King in the North or no, anything no. like that. No, it doesn't make sense. No, I don't, I don't I, know. I think, I think what she's trying to do is teach, if that is the case, here's my theory, two cents, that she's trying to teach Sansa a lesson about the value of loyalty and not trusting anyone outside of family. Okay. In this interaction, well, okay, one more thing. Do we think that there really was a legitimate raven asking for a King's Landing visit and that that maester was telling her this and that was all legitimate? Or was that itself subterfuge, either through Littlefinger legitimately or through Arya? I think it's because so out of nowhere, possible out of nowhere, that... Cersei, out of nowhere, she asks for the Lady of Winterfell to come to King's Landing? What is that even about? I honestly just and, got the vibe that that may have just been Sansa coming up with a fake excuse to get Brienne out. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. not even well, a, that's what I'm a saying. letter or anything. I didn't, but then I didn't the, get but the, then the irony, that really came from King's Landing. That's what, okay. But then the irony is that Brienne shows up at the time that Jamie has the big reveal about the right. army of the North. And now it actually leads to the very thing that Littlefinger and Sansa have been trying to avoid, which is putting them on the margins of irrelevance. If right. Littlefinger's still alive. And it's the opportunity to circumvent one of the biggest fan service moments coming, which is the very obvious Clegane Bowl in the finale. And the best way to circumvent the expectations of Clegane Bowl is to have a third major champion character step into it. Brienne. And who's that? So here's the thing. If they think, but wait, yeah, but if they think, if they think Jon Snow is going to be there, why invite anybody else from Winterfell? Right. It didn't feel like it was real. Right. Right. 
I mean, what, I just don't know. Who, a, I don't know who orchestrated it, right? I mean, who gives a fuck about the Lady of Winterfell when we got the King of the North? Well, and then so once again, what's this deal? What's this deal with this confrontation between them in the room with all of this craziness with the with the masks and explaining it and her getting all tense about it, and then she's edging forward with the dagger and then she hands Sansa the dagger and walks out. Was it? Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> what was happening? So here, here's my idea: is that yes. Arya is trying to prove a point to Sansa, and she's a Valerian point. No, Valerian point that she's actually killed Littlefinger, taken him over, and shown how easy Sansa can be manipulated. People. So you're operating on the assumption that Littlefinger is now dead, and Arya is playing Littlefinger. Because Sansa did, I mean, I was thinking that as an as a like we we were just saying. I mean, I think that that's a possibility. She has Sansa has told Arya that I need Littlefinger because I need his armies, mm-hmm. and so <laughs> hmm. now now we have his armies. I don't we know. I find that I, I think it's interesting, but I feel like so, this is not how they would have Littlefinger like end. Like you, as the world's biggest Littlefinger fan, how do you feel about that being the last time you see Littlefinger? I think that there, I think that there's been so much. Okay, the show has done other high-profile deaths that have not been witnessed. However, it's usually been in the case of a an off-screen death that's in, that is we know it's happening. We just don't get to see it. They've been very specific right. in this show about the times in which they show some an incredibly large thing be disemboweled versus uh, a pretender to the throne being uh, killed off screen in the snow. Right. So it's I, interesting to me that they would take this guy who wants so much to be important and to have so much control over everything and have him get taken out and he doesn't even get a glory scene in doing so, that he's just out. And that maybe there's a flashback or maybe there's a reference to finding his body or something like that or she gets to use that as a reveal later. I think it's possible. It's not my preference for how he goes out, but it's possible. So the, my my rationale is that there is no way Arya ever lets Sansa see the bag of faces. Okay, Accidentally. right? Accidentally. And there's no right. way Arya gives Sansa the knife. Which actually is probably the critical component of killing the Night King. Oh, by the way, so um, right. uh, unless Arya has like this grand plan, and we've seen it before, like how she did the the best cold opening in, I'll be back in just a second. In, yes, sorry. in history with House Frey, right? Right. That I mean, the, to discount the intellect of Arya in the political machinations of all these different agendas i think is a very dangerous proposition well, okay but here's the problem here's the problem we're faced with and this is goes back to the Lostian thing we're struggling because the show has shifted tone and shifted format from the earlier seasons to this current accelerated end the writing has changed the setup of these scenes has changed in its expediency and as a result characters are acting out of character for the for the sake of moving the plot forward in a rapid way. I hear so you. it's hard to say whether Arya has been suddenly a dumbass in believing 
like falling for Littlefinger shit, or if it's a mechanism, like is the character really falling for it? Is it a mechanism, a shorthand, because they just need this to happen in order to make the, the plot go? Or is it Arya pretending to buy it but not really buying it and actually being in control? We don't know because we can't tell what is deliberate and what is an accident of rushed storytelling. Other well, than my problem with it is what's the point of it in the first place? I just don't understand it. Right. right. Well, we were obviously meant to believe that Arya was about to take out Sansa. And then she doesn't and it's a shocker. Oh wait, wait, wait. It's no, like, I don't I don't I don't know about that. I don't I don't necessarily agree with that proposition. I think I think Arya's whole point is that she would die before for her family. Period. And I think that's her bigger sticking point with Sansa is that Sansa would not die for her family. Well, yes, but the way the scene was was shot. All of the close-ups, the edging forward, the standing with the hand behind the back and moving closer and closer and closer and closer and then bringing the knife out and then at the last minute giving her the knife. The whole scene was set up to make it feel like she was... She had isolated Sansa, and she's moving in for the kill. And the last minute, what a shocker! She doesn't do it. Right, because she values family over everything else. Agreed. And yeah. her revenge, her revenge is all about who did the Starks wrong. Right. Right. Her right. entire motivation across the entire arc is I'm going to find the people who fucked us over, and but, I'm going to fuck them. But and so, but and so all and she so had to do was say at the end of that, all she had to say was. I know you didn't mean this because she made this thing like, well, you did this under duress, but I wouldn't have done this under duress. But actually, if she thinks for a second and a half about it and how young and stupid and and ill-equipped she was at that time, it, she wouldn't have taken that note seriously. But she well, used it as a first point against if, Sansa. Yeah. If these two had yeah, actually sat down and talked this shit out and they'd been like, hey, this is what actually happened to me. After you took off and my dad was killed, I was raped. I was, I mean, if she went and told Arya all this stuff, realistically, they would bond. Arya would add some new names to her list and they'd be a badass fucking group of ladies kicking some ass. Yeah. But see, I don't, and I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know if I agree with that. I think they had very different ways to respond to stress through their life. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think Arya's and Sansa's. Uh, experiences were both indicative of how they approached it, right? And and I think that was proven a little bit when they were talking about who was in the crowd, when Arya was in the crowd and Sansa was in the crowd watching Ned get beheaded and how they responded very differently with it. Uh, Sansa aligned to power to protect herself and Arya aligned to herself. I guess they both aligned to themselves and their true character. But the, so to me, the, the, what really it comes down to is that Arya let Sansa discover the bag of faces on purpose. But on Sansa purpose. didn't go into. But Sansa didn't become empowered until Littlefinger took her over, took right, right, right. took her under his wing, I, so I, to speak, and turned her into that cool dark Sansa for a minute and a half. That was the moment right, where so she, she was empowered. But when, during at King's Landing, she was entirely a prisoner. Yep. So we're gonna we're gonna keep defending our positions because you're a Littlefinger fan and I fucking hate Littlefinger, uh, and I think <laughs> I dislike him. I, I think, just love watching him. Ah, but so they, okay, they, okay, they, no, but here, okay, but hang on now. See, he's like the Jar Jar Binks of Game of Thrones. Like, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Misa so cunning. Misa so dark. Me tell everything what they want to hear. 
Like, no. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Hodor was the Jar Jar Binks of Game of Thrones. Now look. If that's true, that this was about making a point to Sansa without putting the point in Sansa, then the proper storytelling approach would have been for her to say at the end of that, I don't believe that note was real. I just criticize you for for agreeing to do it, to being stupid enough to do it in the first place. That at that age, younger than you, I already knew which you know which side my bread was buttered, and you were stupid enough to think that this was actually going to be something that works. I thought that that I thought that it would have to end in a direct confrontation, but it was left so ambiguous that we, as the audience, are going, "Well, well, what was the thing here?" And the other thing about it is. There's a very deliberate thing that's been happening, which is Sansa has been asking questions that people don't answer, right? And, and usually it's a very important question. It's a very obvious, actually normal person question to an put unreasonable the, situation. Put, put leather on the pommel of the sword? What? And, and <laughs> the, what? Remember when she said, remember when, she, when she's talking to the blacksmith, like, oh, remember to put leather over the handle so it doesn't freeze. I mean, What? She was talking about the inside the armor. Yeah. Saying to do, le- but anyway, that was that was their way of saying that she was figuring out what needed to be done and being mm-hmm. reasonable. But okay. Well, no, that, that, pre- that scene in- actually did make sense because they were talking about did. people from the airy making armor right. that had never Didn't been know. in the north before. Correct. Correct. I thought it was. It never gets cold. Version. It never gets cold on top of a mountain. Okay. Good. Well, but <laughs> it's not the north, right? It's not mm, that cool. The North. Mm. It was. It was but, in the days I think it's kind but of. But it was cool more a mechanism of showing. It was more a mechanism of showing that Sansa had gone from being the protected princess of Winterfell to someone that was actually taking it seriously and knowing her people and knowing what needs to be done and taking ownership of things. That's what they were okay. trying to show. Okay. Now that said, in the episode where Bran came back, she specifically said, "Like, wh- what does this mean? What are you?" And he doesn't tell her doesn't respond to it and then when Arya was talking with her she says who's on your list and all she says is it's getting smaller right Mm -hmm. so I think it's really interesting with all this edginess between them you know yes I don't she's currently on the list but is she gonna be on the list if if Arya really believes that she directly contributed what she did directly contributed to um a lot of the misfortune for their family does she really be, does she become well, a revenge point or not? We've never heard Sansa on the list, by the way. No, Sansa's never no, been, been on the list. No, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Sansa asked who's on the list, and she wasn't, and Arya didn't respond. Because so Littlefinger's on the list. That's why. Right, right. They definitely implied that Littlefinger was on the list. The question is, you Ergo. know. Ergo. Isn't it interesting? Right, but isn't it interesting? And yeah, right, and Sansa's aligned with Littlefinger, but it's interesting that Sansa not only this long-running thing that she's the only Stark without a superpower, I think it's interesting <laughs> that she's the lady in Winterfell, but she's not getting answers from her own family. She's asking direct questions about things that are very like, you know, she's the she's the voice of the viewer, the normal person's response to things, and they're not even explaining a thing to her. Okay, first of all... So she's feeling very isolated. Wait, wait, wait. But Sansa, I mean, Sansa is Jean Grey in X-Men. So she has the Phoenix ability. Let's just clear that up right now. And the uh, ass blasting from a dragon. The ass blasting from a dragon. But I just think. So I hear you, and I and I admit your point is valid. But to me, 
if it's really about the whole notion of us versus them and family versus might and corruption corrupts everything. And Arya has little finger the right thing this, backfires on you. Right. And so here's my thing about his death being a whimper as opposed to a bang. The last time we see him is cowering in the shadows. So what a fitting end for him. I don't think in the shadows. I don't think he was cowering. Uh, I think he was watching from the shadows thinking he was lurking, thinking he had everything going the way he wanted, thinking he was in control. That's exactly. why, to me, it's an interesting way of making his last living scene, if it's right. true. And it's hubris about, oh, you, you right. imagine every scenario and you just picture all the odds and you're not surprised by anything. Right. Uh, what happens when you are? That's exactly right. And that's why I'm saying if I feel like it's kind of unlikely that this is the case. But if it is, I'm OK with it because I think that's an interesting way of taking – I'm wanting him to go out in a way that shows that all of his planning was for naught. That he was overconfident in thinking that he could pull this off, and in the end, he gets his comeuppance. I was still, I was still having this. I love this fantasy that 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 somehow Arya was going to. I, there was this really dark thing that was going around for a while. That was the idea that, you know, somehow people were saying, "Oh, you know, Arya is going to take Caitlyn's face and then kill uh, Baelish with Caitlyn's face on," which of course doesn't oh, make any sense because she's long decomposed. Dude. But sure. the principle of that was interesting to me because that made me think if something happens to Sansa, whether Arya does it or something else, or she dies in some other way, if Arya took Sansa's face and killed Baelish as Sansa, that would be very poetic justice for his death. Especially when they're getting it on. The, um, it's so like a that, type moment. But so that, that's the interesting uh, discongruity, well, difference between the books and the, the show is that the mom actually lived on as a zombie. Sure. Right, which book. I still think is interesting. Yeah, it seems like it's an, an important yeah. role too. I'm really surprised they've left it out until now. But you, you saw that the whole—I'm sure you did—the whole blog fest and pod fest around. There's a woman in the background when Arya was coming into Winterfell. <laughs> yes, yeah, she was around, and she was moving incredibly fast. And uh, was that Caitlyn or not? So that yeah. there's a whole other wrinkle here that. We'll probably pleasantly surprised by. We're probably yeah, all yeah, but that's but all that all stuff. Wrong. But the but but all of the but all of the the stone the stone lady whatever it is, all of that stuff has felt very much like me in Lost, insisting <laughs> that they were in a tesseract because of the one time when they looked up and the stars were reversed, <laughs> and, there was and I was shark, like, and there was the stars are reversed. There's a shark. I think you want it. Goddamn it! I think you and I were even like. I'm sure we even were like arguing about this back then over your table but the stars were reversed and i was convinced it's because you're looking on the back side of the dimension they're in a tesseract everything else and then later on the editors were like well actually they just really thought compositionally it looked better with the trees on the left so they just flipped the image actually, just <laughs> i remember thinking we didn't yeah, think anyone would notice people. actually it's you just the av guys people. being lazy yeah right <laughs> okay <laughs> anyway so winterfell more yeah, so uh, so not not to talk any more about Winterfell because we've already done plenty on it. But I I will note the only person that appears in the trailer for the next episode is Sansa, looking mm-hmm. out over the battlements. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't that, show that Arya nothing. or Littlefinger. Yeah, and so that you, could be you know nothing, McClanahan. Yeah, it's it's just interesting that they they went out of their way to not show any of them interacting. 
the trailer didn't show Sansa or it didn't show Arya and and Littlefinger at the same place at the same time. It didn't what show either of them at all, Tom. I know. <laughs> I think they're both dead and it, now. Sansa's and, and truly show, upset. And it didn't show any dragon, so obviously they must be all dead. <laughs> and or water. The they didn't show water, so obviously they're all in a drought. It does show water, I, technically. Theon's collapsing on the beach where everybody does oh, everything. That's, that's urine. <laughs> Is that urine? No, that's urine. <laughs> Oh, it's a big puddle of urine. <laughs> it's urine, right. urine. Ur- urine. 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 Yes. There we go. As we need to move on to Dragonstone. Maybe at my bourbon. <laughs> What's even happening? I'm not really Did sure. Did he go get his bourbon? Is that what happened? I think he went to get his urine. What? Yeah. He was... No, I'm here. He had to brace. Yeah. He had a brace for the the onslaught of this episode to come with another bourbon. Really quickly, I, I want to mention something from. Well, okay, so here's something from previous previous episodes that I wanted to bring up because I've been thinking about it. The scorpion was used for the first time in the the rose the rose road battle that they insist on calling the loot train battle, mm-hmm. and it was a spear shot at great or a bolt that was shot at great very high speed with perfect aim and it struck Drogon in the neck. Who apparently survived it? Uh, uh, but and, uh, it did not strike him in the neck. It struck him in the wing. In the yeah, wing. It was in the oh, shoulder. Did, oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, it was not so, in the neck. Here's the thing, though. An obvious question is: if Kyburn is planning for how to defeat an incredible odd like this, and is using a very big weapon that can at least, in theory, puncture the hide of the dragon, mm-hmm. he has to match that it's not necessarily going to cause them to, say, disembowel themselves over the ice. What does it do? Why didn't Kyburn poison the spears or the bolts? And maybe he did, because we don't necessarily know that Drogon is healed from that wound. He's flying, but we don't mm-hmm. know if there's anything coming. But what's interesting about it is, and I've read people saying, well, you know, why would he suddenly know how to poison things? He very carefully recreated the poison that the Dorn the Dorns people used. Oh, yeah. If I remember right, they actually refer to Kyburn as the poisoner in the books. Right. If I remember right. That's what makes me a little bit nervous about the Scorpions. If he hasn't already done it, he will be doing it. But I think there's a lack of knowledge transfer about what actually can kill a dragon, obviously. But but if you're the poisoner, why wouldn't you poison it? Because we've seen now five different times on this show people poisoning weapons to it that all they're trying to do is get a cut. Right? Setting aside the fact that Arya gets multiple gut stabs, falls into a toxin river, <laughs> and survives with or without a magic carnival potion, we have had multiple. Well, I think incidents. it's important to note too that that Dude, was that's just the power of modern antibiotics. That was shot into Drogon with unerring accuracy, as you say, but it didn't go that far into him either. I mean, it was just in far enough that Daenerys could pull it back out. But if your mo is poisoning. Mm-hmm. And you're building weapons of any scale. Why wouldn't it's like saying, why would a sans person not poison their weapon all of a sudden? Like but, I but, couldn't yeah. fathom that he didn't poison those. But is it is it this moot by the time interval? Because if you're gonna yeah. if you're gonna poison a dragon, you don't My want to slow is, acting. No, wait, wait. You don't want to. The point is, he's learning. Again. They've learned that incident no, that the dragon on. can't be punctured. So now they're no, gonna let, be poisoning them. No. 
Well, maybe. Do you think they're going to build more of those? Do you think they haven't built and waiting? Is that what you're saying? They're going to be building because and... at the end of this episode, they're going to need them. Yeah. Yeah, I'm saying they're preparing for the whether it's this meeting that they've just suddenly agreed to or whether it's an incoming invasion. They're preparing for dragons coming to King's Landing. So we have proof of concept that they can puncture one, but it didn't kill it. So the yeah. next obvious thing to do is to poison it. So the business model is proven true. The question is, will it scale? Yes, that's <laughs> will correct. It scale? <laughs> will it scale? <laughs> will it scale? I noticed the pun, scale? by the way. Will it dragon scale? <laughs> well, you know, I'm not a, a pun. Okay, so, yeah. so before we get into too many long theories Dragon's about done. the next episode, maybe we should talk about this episode. <laughs> Did anything really so happen on Dragonstone? What happened did on Dragonstone? Any, yeah, did anything happen on Dragonstone? Didn't they I think it was a talk? really, really interesting scene. It was a very What's interesting that? scene. Well, there's this whole interaction with Tyrion and Daenerys that I found fascinating. How she's Where been she slowly tiny. turning on him more well, and more about his <clears throat> decisions, questioning his loyalty, getting frustrated with his advice, and him attempting to reason with her about the idea that she needs to be she needs to think beyond the breaking of the wheel. What is she supposed to do? What's her legacy? And this sudden discussion about progeny that she now is telling us that she can't have. All that stuff I thought was really interesting. Well, I mean, and, Tyrion really is the first man to ever tell her what to do that wasn't raping her, essentially. No, no, right. wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Come on, wait, 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 wait. Jorah did it. Drogon did it. Um, Caldwell. Oh, Cal Drogo. Yeah, Drogo. Cal Drogo. Yeah. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say Jorah ever ordered her around. Oh no, it, it, it's he's given her advice before, right? Yeah, so but they've always been love interest. Between, the conversation between Tyrion and Barriss, right, is probably the most telling in the entire relationship because he says, "I'm her hand, I'm not her heart." If I'm mm-hmm. paraphrasing correctly, and we've seen it over and over again between the the power and the hand is that the hand is supposed to be devil's advocate. And the hand is right. supposed to raise questions of conscience that are cause an uncomfortable response. And right. it happened between Robert and Ned. It happened uh, between Joffrey and whomever he wasn't listening Everyone. to. Everyone. <laughs> right. And, and so, again, it's this role that Tyrion feels that he's empowered to behave as. But he's and, the only person who has talked straight to her. Yeah. Uh, he's the only person who's challenged her. He's the only person who has been able to challenge her, even though he's doing it very politely. He's saying, and that was the thing about that scene that got really kind of biting. Is right. he's like, she's like, wait, what? What did I do that was out of control? You know? And he was like forced to confront her and say, look, I think you, I think that you're not looking at the long game, and you have to think about what's beyond this next move. And I thought it was a very interesting discussion. I'd never thought about what's next after she takes the kingdom, if she takes the kingdom, how do you maintain yeah. a population that's not, yeah, the how do you replace the system? How do you replace but, the system that is obviously broken with something that could sustain itself it, with some hope? You know, it's, you know, formation of the United States, right? right. Well, <laughs> how do we break away from monarchy and make something that could be lasting beyond the lives of all the people who are creating it? That was really but, interesting to me. But didn't we already have this conversation with the slaver cities? In a negative way. They no, talked no, no. about no, in a do this. Way. We watched, no, we watched and, it and fall a, apart. No, no, wait, wait, no, no, no. Because when the fleet came into the port, and she wanted to raise everything, right? Yeah. And Tyrion said, "Let me give you a counter proposition." 
that mm -hmm. you make an example of some, just like the Tarleys, for instance. It was okay for the slavers to die, but not the Tarleys, which is an interesting uh, moral incongruence with Tyrion. But um, the, the fact that they were able to overcome the differences and get to a better path with the snakeheads and with everybody else um, in the slaver cities and still make it work and get the fleet and bring it over. But now there seems to be this reestablishing of an equilibrium that isn't predicated on past performance, which I think is interesting. And maybe it's because the stakes are higher and because it's, the, it's Westeros as opposed to the boonies. But right. I, I thought they had a much better working relationship in understanding what they were trying to do. And now it appears that when she's on the brink of what her brother could not do and what her father lost, that she's kind of reverting back to the traditional Targaryen stereotype. Mm. Well, certainly it was interesting to see him try to temper her. And the message I got from that and leading into the rest of the episode was she needs balance. She needs a contrasting viewpoint to temper her, her instincts, but it's not Tyrion. That's going well, to be ultimately that does that. Really the question whether she's but, but, but going to listen it, to anyone at this point. Well, and that was the other thing about right. this conversation that was interesting is that Tyrion directly references the fact that John is whatever, you know, checking out her dragons or whatever it was and saying, oh, he's the latest heroic man to fall in love with you. And, oh, I saw the... This yeah. And I thought it was interesting thinking about it, though, because, of course, this is this huge fan thing. It's like, oh, they're going to do it or not. And, oh, they're related and so forth. But the thing that I thought was interesting about it was is that John's the first guy that we've seen as a potential love interest for her or a person that's in that zone for her that isn't going after her. Every other mm -hmm. one was trying to get her favor, trying to win her over, trying to dominate her. John's like, you know, this is what I need. This is what's important. And here's some because long stares, knows, but I'm not going to pursue you. Yeah, because and that knows, makes him more interesting to her. Because he knows it's dirty. <laughs> we don't have time for that. I'm her cousin. It's weird. George R.R. Martin loves the dirty. So that's, I don't even think. I think <laughs> let's, not be be Lannisters. Let's, not, let's not be the Lannisters. Let's not be kissing cousins or brothers and sisters. Let's keep it, let's keep it legit. Oh, I think there's going to be some dragon ass blasting. Don't you worry. I think that what's interesting about it is that he's getting in, so to speak, because he's the first one who's not either trying to dominate her or suck up to her. No, I think it's actually, uh, much, wait, wait. I think it's much more uh, apparent than that. He's the first one who's been able to touch a dragon and not get killed other than her. Incorrect. That's true. Tyrion? No. Well, Tyrion did. Which is what led to me included people thinking that it was going to be three of them on three dragons. No, it's not going to happen. Well, obviously. But I'm just saying he's not the first person. That's also what spun in people into a, a, a fervor over the idea that the that Tywin's comment that you're not my son was a literal one and not a metaphorical one, which was much more powerful of metaphor. Right. People are like, oh, well, clearly he's another secret Targaryen, which he's not. But yeah. I'm just saying, he touched a dragon. But it was a much different stage of development. It was, but I'm just saying he did. So it's not just the dragon connection. It's certainly part of it, but it's not just that. But so, but he also think about, so we're getting way ahead of ourselves. I'm going to stop. Okay, sorry. <laughs> let's get back okay. to the eight, let's get back to the uh, eight full eight. Okay, so we have fifty five minutes of slow, brutal climbing around, 
an amazing conversation. Somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here on this podcast, he means. Yeah. Yes. We have 55 minutes of flashcard trivia. And now. Oh, wait, we're talking about the episode. Sorry. Go. <laughs> Tom is secretly stewing right now. I can actually. Not even. Turning red. I was just imagining Tormund right now, just thinking about all of his like weird buggy <laughs> smiles. I love the Tormund fact that so he much. went from in one episode, he went from scaring Gendry into thinking that he was about to be pillaged to talking about how he wanted to make giant babies with. I love the use of pillage. I love I love the use of pillage in like a positive term. That's sure yes. Well, I've never heard it like that. I don't know. I wasn't saying that anything he was doing to Gendry was positive in my personal experience. I'm just saying. I'm going to raise you up and pillage you, girl. Oh, Jesus. Well, okay. So. I'm so I was so terrified that Tormund was going to die because he's my absolute oh. favorite. When he was oh. dragging, when he was being dragged into the water oh, legs and they had an axe handle against his neck and I thought they were going to have a straight up Shaun of the Dead moment with him. Yeah. He was going to be. So that would have been brilliant, actually. Well, you know, it, it did feel like a lot of complaints <laughs> were oh. a lot of people were complaining that there wasn't enough meat in the deaths, so to speak, of of mm-hmm. in this episode. Right. Because and, they had red shirts. That's why. Because they had red right, shirts. But, but they were doing a good job of fake outs that was kind of frustrating a little bit because both <laughs> him and John and Jorah, actually all three mm-hmm. of them, had moments where they were almost certainly doomed. Yeah. So John's John's is beyond the pale. John's wait, wait, wait. was straight up rolling twenty. But I mean, the other guys, they, it was all set up that it was twenty after twenty after twenty. But all the other guys were set up to look like they were going to bite it, and then they don't bite it. But so can I can I bring up an interesting parallel? Only if it's interesting. I, I know you hate this when I do this, but so we had in the last episode, or the ep- actually uh, episode four, when Jamie disappears into the water and appears to be sinking. Forever, and then in this one we have John, who appears yep. to be sinking into the water forever into the murky depths, and and they both appear to come back from those depths in kind of almost a baptismal. Mm-hmm. One is John the Baptist, the other one is with the Lion Fang, the the Death Dealer, um, <laughs> whatever the sword is called, like like Lion Claw or Storm Craw or whatever. Widow's um, Whale. Right. I'll have what he's having. Yes. Well, uh, yeah, I, I'm having issues in coherence. The other, but it's interesting that they use the same imagery, <laughs> pretty much. Here. Well, you know, the fact of eighth bourbon. Go on. No. no, it's my third bourbon, but it's a really big glass. Baptism. The, uh, I get it. Yeah, definitely the imagery was I, strong. And 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 it, it, no, but it, it's almost identical, and that they they they. The yeah. camera angle and everything else, they're disappearing into the murk, and then they come back. Yeah. Right. Right? Yeah. And I thought that was like a hammer tongue to the head of, ding, this matters. Yeah. Uh, and it was it, it's just interesting to see where that's going to play out. In the previous episode, I forgot to mention that I, would, I got all caught up when I was watching it, and I made my little notes to myself to talk to you guys about how I thought it was really interesting that John is carrying around the Mormon family sword that's been rebranded as a Stark sword right. thanks to being handed that from Jor. And yep. then they immediately referenced it in this episode, so it ceased to be the big thing that I thought it was going to be a thing about. That's a really <laughs> it was good a really scene, good though. Scene. I love no, it. Yeah. <laughs> I think they, they hit it head that. on and resolved it. I mean, and it was... Yeah. 
it was Jorah's credit that he said, I've discredited my family. I don't deserve this. He gave it to you. You deserve it. Right. And, yeah, and, yeah. I, and I thought that was a really powerful scene because it spoke to Jorah's true character, despite circumstance. And it spoke to John's true character, despite circumstance. And now, uh, we have many examples yeah. in, in the Hateful Eight wandering around talking about how their parents knew each other and how they remember each other as kids and they remember their parents and who tried to kill who. And But what, I, what I'm trying to remember is, do we ever know what specifically Jorah did no. to shame his family? Because no. they uh, were very deliberately uh, avoided. I don't, think, I don't I feel think like they did. He fled the kingdom, but we don't know what he did. And he's been nothing but virtuous. He's been as loyal as they come. He's been a lapdog in this entire story. And it's like the hero saying, you know, the, 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 this, the hunky guy at the party saying, like, you don't want to be with me because, you know, I've got problems. You know, whatever. But no, have you yet to I see have the example? No, the um, yeah. stone skin. But um, he the, sold uh, poachers on his land to slave traders is what he did. Is that what he did? Yeah. In the movie. I mean, the show. Uh, he actually does say it in the book, too. Um, I remember something about that when they were talking about slaves. He says something to Daenerys about how he, that's actually why he was exiled, is because he sold to slavers. I see. Okay. No, that's it. That's it. Because actually, yeah. So. But that, that is a right. passing term. Wow. These guys are great on the screenwriting. <laughs> also, <laughs> also, undead snow bears. Yeah, that really bears rad. My new favorite. My new favorite professional sports mascot. <laughs> undead snow bears. Flaming undead snow bears. Yep. Now, okay, interesting. I mean, it was a neat scene. The coming out of the gloom. All of the all of the imagery was very cool. It was the giant bear attack. That's fun. Oh, by the way, I never I... saw the polar bear blue eyes. I never saw that. Even when I got up on the 60 inch and tried to look at it, I never saw the blue eyes. But anyway, what do you mean? You never saw blue eyes. Never saw the blue eyes in the polar bears. I didn't see it. What polar bears? Oh my goodness. Wait, wait what are you the talking about? You're talking about the, the big bear that can attack them. The one, yes. the bear. Yeah. You never saw his eyes blue. Nope. What? You need to yep. adjust your color, color settings, man. Yeah. It flashed <laughs> blue on my screen. Okay. Yeah, it was blue and also had chunks of ribcage exposed. I mean, it was very definitely. No, I saw that, but I didn't see I, until the close-up combat. I didn't see them lurking in the mist. Sorry. Ah, okay. I see. Oh. That was very. That was very murky. Now that said, yeah. the thing about this sequence that I thought was interesting, other than watching people getting revenanted back and forth for a while. <laughs> well, was, thank God Leo <laughs> DiCaprio wasn't there. That's all yes. I gotta say. Yeah. No shit. But what I thought was interesting was this was our first time that we saw that the the uh, the bannermen, the bannerless men, whatever they called, uh, and with their obsession with the red god, their flame swords, they were using the flame swords on the bear, and the bear was mm -hmm. lighting on fire, but it wasn't stopping it. Correct. Yeah. The assumption leading up to this was that they were going to have this, that they were like very obviously going to have this, this advantage against the undead because they had the fire and it was going to drive off the, the whites. And right. they take a couple swings, and and even in the battle to come, they're you know they're they're lighting people on fire and taking chops at them and stuff, but it's not it's not having the effect that they expect. Natural gas is not the solution to everything. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 we had fifty we had fifty minutes of climbing around to get to this point, and then we had a lot a lot a lot <clears throat> of fighting. You get frustrated when I see them. 
attacking people with stabs, you know, like acting like they're normal humans. They did a lot of stabbing whites and and slashing them and hitting them on the head and sending them down the hill kind of things. And it was like they're fighting humans again. It kind of bothered me. But that's that's an aside. I don't well, know. I, I noticed that for the most part, uh, they didn't go, really go down unless they were stabbed with the obsidian daggers. That's that's true. Now that said, this whole sequence of finding the 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 one, uh, what do we call the Night King's lieutenants? Um, White Walker. White they saw Walker, the white. They yeah. saw the White Walker with his gang. They attack. He does this the slap of Appa and, it, and he explodes. And then all of the whites, except for this one, explode because he mm-hmm. turned them. But that, that whole thing was important that was a, information. That, that was a patrol unit. That was a patrol unit. And, and right. they all died. They they all fell apart when he except killed the one. White Walker. Except for one. The one which was like a stray or something that still survived. It was an interesting piece of information because it really yep. it, it, it planted the idea that you that the way to defeat you had to go after the heads to get through this. You can't just right. fight your way through whites because you'll never win. You have to fight. You have to chop off the guy that was turning them in order to do this. And it was said several more times in the course of the episode. You really got to just go right after the Night King. There's no way else right. to do this. But it was an interesting sequence. I think just in terms of I, I think that their use of zombie effects have been uneven on the show. And I think it's really hard to make a zombie look cool. But I think that they did some really good stuff in this episode. I absolutely I adored Jawless. The, the, oh, that was great with the rock. The snowball. Uh, that, <laughs> that sequence with Tag and him as jockeying off. And then him and, and then it across the lake. Yeah. That was brilliant. It, Misses and like throws it short, and then the, them looking, and then Jawless looks down and realizes that the that the ice isn't breaking, and then continues to walk forward, and then realizing yeah. that if they go one at a time instead of all at once, the ice won't break. What a tragic moment for that group that we have yet to see referenced, other than that it happening. But Jesus Christ, it was a huge deal. No, wait, yeah, it was so, so perfect the way they did that. I love Jawless, man. I thought he was so great. Yeah, it's amazing what Flea's doing after his Red Hot Chili Peppers career. Anyway, the, um, <laughs> so the uh, hey, you know, so can I just establish some ground rules here? Because I'm a little confused. Okay. okay. So when yes. uh, when the when the dead go into water, they die or they can't no, cross over water. Is that correct? No, they don't swim, but they don't they don't deanimate. They just sink. Hmm. Which is how they started coming out of the water again hold on, hold on, and taking, hold on, don't. taking crabs. Because I've seen three different podcasts that disagree with that in the books. Doesn't matter. What do they say happens to them? When they touch water, they die. That may be in mm-hmm. books, but not in the show. I don't think that's accurate. Okay. No, because okay, no, I'm just, I'm just throwing, I'm just trying to get a consistent philosophical perspective here. I'm not advancing a position. When we uh, saw them, see the them in the um, in the East Watch episode, where they're on the the beach there, um, they're and they're actually they... in the water fighting at a couple of points there, like they're coming up out of the okay. boat and grabbing them and that kind of thing. Okay, you're talking hard home, right? Yeah, right. hard home. Yeah, right. Yeah, you see them in the water and they're still moving around. The problem is they're not they're not swimming. Okay, they sink. The same thing here. You see them all just pile in like lemmings. It's kind of like that World War Z thing. They just get falling in and falling in and falling in. And then eventually they come up, <laughs> they come up the other side, coming right? out closer yeah. to the island. Yeah. So 
why don't they walk over each other to get over the ice? Well, yes, agreed. Maybe it's really deep. <laughs> yeah. And yet, then no. they would debate it to the other side. Then they would talk, debate it to the We're going to talk about a scene because, like, geometry still applies, so chain length and whatever. But um, okay, anyway. <laughs> no, it's just a, it's it's just a, a lack of logical continuity in the way they behave. But we've had. Well, I think it's we've had I think it's as much as anything is that they operate like zombies. They don't operate like a hive mind, and I don't think they have any real really? efficient way of communicating outside of just being controlled. I don't. I agree with you. I don't think that they're uh, hive mind controlled because they're not. They're not. They are not utilized like a like. Like swarm weapon. De- yeah, they don't deliver intelligence via themselves. They they don't, they don't like distract. send messages back to the Night King or anything like that. This was they this just episode was possibly the only time we've seen them learn, mm-hmm. but they certainly don't act with uh, strategic impetus. Yeah, you don't see them being used forward. like weapons. They just are us. They just flow in and attack. Okay, and yes, so, World War Z was fun because they had three dimensionality and they climbed on each other and stuff. But I, I think it's cool because they're really fast here. Anyway, um, yeah. so in the scouting party that they attack, why is there one that's not under the immediate White Walker? Right, and the only thing but I can think of case. is that it's a it's a straggler. It it just happened to be one that wasn't turned by that particular White Walker. Well, and to be huh. fair too, they kill like a solid two thirds of them before they kill no, the White kill- Walker. And then the remaining ones, all five, all five remaining ones exploded after they killed the White Walker. There could have been other ones from a different White Walker. And I think it, it's kind of interesting to assume that the Night King would have split them up a little bit just, just so that he knows, hey, this White Walker died because this group of Walker Whites over here just collapsed. Oh, I think that it, it could have yeah, been clearer. That, that if, yeah. It would have been clearer if there were more, white, more Whites around they killed the one White Walker, like half of them fell down and the other half were still kicking. And so then I they agree. killed the remaining ones except for the one. So that was right. just storytelling issue. It, it just, yeah, it they should have had at least one more. Right. Yeah, it seemed odd that they just had one outlier that they could trap. And then, okay. yeah. and then, and then also, if, if the Night King was really strategic and he knew what they were doing and taking one away, why not just kill the White Walker that was responsible for that and end the threat? So I think... so. My first problem is that the Night King looks like Steve Carell in White Walker makeup, <laughs> and his lieutenants look rad. But he is always his like, makeup nah, is his little changed face. radically from when he first appeared to. Well, yeah, I don't know if they have a different, a different actor. actor. A different actor. Is that what it is? I actually, I actually think it's Kramer from Seinfeld. That's funny too. <laughs> it, it's interesting though that the, the the lieutenants have this long. Yeah, it has changed actors, which is part of the problem. Okay. The lieutenants have the long hair and the armor and they look really cool. And then the night King has always had this like much tighter armor and has no hair or whatever, and has the little crown of ice and just, he looks less imposing than his lieutenants, which is strange right. to me. Uh, the other thing though is, and this is what was bothering me through the whole episode. And at the end I started to have this sinking feeling. It was deliberate. It really creeped me out that they were surrounding them at the island and stopped. And initially you think it's because they were all falling in and then somehow decided to give up that approach because they were all falling into the water. But yet we have not seen that as a mechanism with zombies that they would learn that fast and go, maybe we shouldn't do that. It was very deliberate that they all surrounded, they waited, 
And then they're standing there freezing overnight. They even were sleeping mm-hmm. before. And then they woke up in the morning half frozen and well, they're still standing there. Except for Thorne. He didn't. That's right. And then and then you see the <laughs> lieutenants and the Night King are up on the up on the bluff and they're just hanging out. And well, so my fear, my fear is that this was bait. No. So see, here's my thing. I was I, I, my I, I, logic. Yeah. Go ahead, Blake. So, no, I just want to point out that I think, like Bran, right? If you if you extend the rationale about these opposing uh, theocracies, mm-hmm. right, and and these different agendas by um, powers bigger than us, that if Bran can see the past, present, and future, that the Night King can as well. And I think this is what Tom's leading to in his theory about the uh, Unchained Melody that's coming up. Um, that uh, if the Night King can also see past, present, and future, then he knows what's going to happen with them isolated and stranded. And that's why they don't see anybody after Baratheon when he's running off, Gendry, when he's running off to the wall. Easily enough done, right? We already seen the walkers can outrun everyone. It's either an incredible plot... um like an incredible uh, inconsistency in storytelling or it's by design that they all of a sudden have, like you said at the beginning of our conversation eight hours ago, they had, you know, 3000 feet of massive chain right at the ready to drag See, a dragon my, out of the ice. They were planning for that dragon. And the javelins. We haven't seen yes. them use the javelins until now. And holy Actually, shit. Actually, that's not true. God damn. They've actually been carrying those spears in previous episodes. Um, they've, never seen them. they've never used no, them. No, they've never used never them, used no. Them. Um, and my specific. take on that particular scene of them all standing around there is that they were waiting for the ice to refreeze. That's interesting. Yeah. But, but wait, but, I don't but know. wait. But, 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 but he threw a javelin 150 miles an hour over, you know, three-quarters of a mile with a perfect, perfect shot. So right, why wouldn't he but, throw a javelin... At no, Jon Snow or those guys. Because how much with, better like Tom Brady are... with a deflated ball, like on target yeah. every time. Yeah. Because he can't use them as effectively if they have big giant holes in them. I mean, they have nothing to do but wait for those guys to freeze to death and become part of the army. No, but I, I think the strategic intent was to not deal with that party. It doesn't matter. If the three dragons go unimpeded, that represents a strategic threat. If they can get one and turn to it, that represents yeah. an equalization of that capability. I totally so your guys' take on this the is that they knew the dragon was coming and that he can see the future and this whole thing was intentional. I, I don't yeah, know about absolutely. the seeing of the future absolutely. part. I, I understand mm-hmm. the logic in the tying it to Bran. I get that part. I felt that it was more that he's always been waiting for the dragons to come. Hmm. This happens to be yeah. the moment where they come, but they were prepared that their end game and the reason why they haven't gone up and just start slapping against the wall. Like I said, I always thought Bran was the reason they would get through. But I think now, I'm starting to think now that the reason they haven't just gone up to the edge of the wall and stood around is they've been waiting for an opportunity to get a dragon. And once they get the dragon, now they can fly over the wall or they can blast the wall with anti-fire or whatever the fuck it's going to be. No, it's going to be. But it's about getting that weapon. Yeah, it's going to freeze them instead of burn them. But the... uh, the asymmetric warfare component in equalization of capabilities and resources now is the primary thing. I mean, who gives a shit about human X, Y, Z, uh, no matter what they think about it. But if, if you're 
going against the wall and you have dragons coming through and just strafing you. Um, that that's well, a really that that's really a tactical disadvantage. But think about the words that were reiterated by the is it Thoros? Is he the red priest? Yes, he was. <laughs> he yeah. repeated now he's the, a dead so priest. The importance of him dying to me was it, it was critical to me that he died because he's the one who he was the only one among their party to be able to reanimate in any way. Mm-hmm. Well, and those two except for had been reanimated. Hmm? Except for Melisandre. Well, but she's not at the party. What I'm saying is there, in but that she, scene, when he died, yeah. it became, now there's no backup no matter what. I mean, we're seeing that as a viewer thinking about it. They weren't thinking about him as a resource. But I'm just saying, when he died, I thought, oh, shit. If someone dies now, you know, mm-hmm. who's going to bring him back, right? That right. said, his yeah. thing was he repeatedly emphasized what, what John has been saying. He said... The enemy is death. And he says, everybody dies. And he says, yes, but we have to fight that enemy. The enemy will always win, but we have to fight and fight and fight because that's all we can do is fight the living versus the dead. And in that moment, I realized that I had been struggling to understand the motivations of the Night King. Like, does the Night King want to go to King's Landing and sit on a throne? Seems unlikely. No. But if he wants to go and wipe out all life, if it's very simply the equilibrium problem. He wants to kill off life. If that's the case, getting the dragon is absolutely not only important to get over the wall, but it's important to have a weapon of mass destruction to start killing chumps and mass. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so it's basically the story of Kim Jong-un with better makeup. <laughs> <laughs> better hair, at least. I don't know about makeup. <laughs> the Night King wants to watch the world burn. If he, sometimes, sometimes massive proof. Yes, if he caught if he if he caught a dragon, he wouldn't even know what to do with it, except he did. Anyway, but, so but, big battle. Wait, Fifty I, minutes. I, I think, I, but I think the symbolism with Thoros is that I think it strips away this kind of uh, security blanket that they have. Mm-hmm. That if I die, I can just come back, right? Or rather, I don't feel like either of them relied on him or felt like it it was oh, no no but i my back i think that's a narrative thing for us we see that as being a vulnerability but i also think but i also think he felt that being part of the party and being there an importance he was like what's my purpose why is the one guy constantly being reanimated i don't know and then what's the red priest's role here well mm-hmm. i think my job is to bring you guys together to do this and the implication is I'm going to keep keeping you alive in order to get this this thing done, and then he's killed. And so then what? Well, so now all bets are off. Okay, fair enough. So, here's the thing. We have this whole battle. They spent or they spent day, it seems like they've spent an enormous amount of time. They made a point of how long it took them to trudge up to the Arrowhead site. In a time in the show where they are doing blink of an eye time space stuff, but then they make all this work into showing how long it took them to get there and how hard it was. I don't know that it actually took them that long because it never shows them camping or stopping. Yeah, I thought that's true. I think it's just a single day's hike. Period. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was a day or day and a half. But that's the part where I started to get frustrated that they sent Gendry. They said, "Leave your hammer," and I felt like that was a. It was either a 
moment of like he's going to be doomed or it was just someone in the writer's room was like, wait a minute, we cannot have this is not AD&D. Or if it is that we're following encumbrance rules, he cannot carry the hammer and run for this long of time. Yeah, I, think, I mean, that thing had to weigh a solid like was... 30 pounds. <laughs> yeah, I, I, th- I think it was more of like the Battle of Marathon where yeah. they did have sent someone who was the fleetest of foot to try and warn the city. Absolutely. Right? Oh, no, no, absolutely. So, and, so, and so if you take a look at it, maybe the storm impeded the progress. Maybe it was much shorter than we thought. Yeah, and, no, no, you know, you're absolutely right. right. But he did. He ran. He ran his ass off. He falls in front of the wall. And, and, for, then a Baratheon, like, and for a Baratheon, that is way out of character. <laughs> yeah, no shit. <laughs> so, and so like, then they're like, where's the bacon and double it? Send a teleporting right. raven. Okay, they sent the teleporting raven. And then she's like, so, I'm going. Oh. And instantly she's there. So here's my issue in a grander scale with all of this. Why wasn't Bran more actively engaged in supporting John? Well, they haven't even. They no, haven't no, even. But, but yet. in a general sense, if Bran is this omnipotent, right. um, omniscient, three-eye, you know, DHL air freighter, um, why <laughs> couldn't he see the need and then? But the you may not. In the, no, no, oh. no. But see, here's the thing. He's so divorced from humanity that I don't think that he is necessarily feeling like his role is to influence or 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 do any immediate alteration of things and say, hey, John, this is what I know. I feel so, like he's so in a position makes... now where he's seeing everything and nothing. He's having trouble parsing the data. And then, he's just so, di- so divorced from it that he's like, well, this is a thing that's happening. But then why go back in time and do the Hodor thing? Or wasn't that accidental? Uh, I, I think it may have been conceived of that, but I think it was a very deliberate act to try and influence time to self-preserve. Mm. Well, also inconvenient to the story. Right, but I, but I think, <laughs> but, but if, if Bran has transcended this and is actually the third eye and he knows John's history, right, right and, he, and he knows his pedigree better than anyone, and he knows the situation with the Nightwalker because he sent a, like a murderer of ravens out to go scope it out, where was that <laughs> metaphysical air support in the hateful eight? No, no, I, I, t- I totally agree with you. And by the same token, my frustrations with all of this, this, like you said, maybe it wasn't as long a journey as, as it seemed. Here's, I, I have multiple problems with that. If that's true, then the night King and all his whites are right at the edge of the wall. Because oh, yeah, if the night problems. King and his whites were a day from the wall, they would already be at the wall. And that said, if, well, except for those big not, chains they were carrying. Well, yeah. And then if said, <laughs> that said, if they're not, and they were really marching for for forever to get to where they were, then the run back for help was unbelievable, and the immediate raven and then the immediate dragon in response and all that stuff was frustrating. When, in my mind, just like we said earlier, why didn't she just take a dragon to go snatch one? <laughs> um, by the same token, why didn't they have, you know, it, it could have been resolved in the plot in a different way by having her come up at least part way or be closer right. to this when this happens. Right. I agree. Like, I, I feel like she should have stayed at East Watch while they were right. off doing this. I, that makes a lot of sense. Um, according to the map that I found, it does look like it is uh, approximately 1,200 miles between East Watch and Dragon's Scale or Dragonstone. Mm-hmm. 
And according mm -hmm. to Wikipedia, a standard raven can fly about 50 miles in an uh, 50 miles an hour. So it would be European about 30 hours. Yes. <laughs> it's unladen. Uh, it's an unladen swallow. <laughs> Well, but we don't yet so, have a unit of measure. You know, we don't have a measurement of where the 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 the, the arrowhead rock is in relation. No, to that's the wall. not on any map. And, and, and philosophically speaking, I don't believe in unladen ravens, just in general. <laughs> so uh, realistically, it would have it would have taken about a day and a half, two days, for Danny to get to them after Gendry gets to the wall. Uh, yeah, he, at least. That includes the Raven time and then her immediately mobilizing and then immediately flying. Although we don't know so, the speed of the Raven. Wait, so, so this gets back to my original point. Maybe Bran is influencing things. Possibly. That's possible. He does control Ravens. He can ward. I mean, if well, he sees we kind of have to assume, too, that the, the messenger Ravens are probably bred to be faster than an average Raven, too. Right. It's possible. I'm just, the messenger I'm, Ravens that have no one to write their note for them at the wall but but if, if anyone Bran can is, write a note <laughs> only if they can read well, <laughs> well no can actually if only they can write the, yeah uh, i've written a lot of things i don't understand the uh <laughs> yeah of you as well but i'm just saying that it so here's the deal if maybe this communication on steroids the uh right telegraph with feathers um what if brand is doing all this before the fact well, and the yeah. other thing that's frustrating is that she sent one dragon and a bunch of Dothraki to do <coughs> the loot raid, um, um, which made no sense when she could send more than one dragon and just take everybody out. Um, and then here she's like, wait, someone's in trouble. Send all three dragons. Well, but yeah, her good. one dragon did get hit last time, so. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, one dragon got hit this time, too. We needed more than one dragon in play in the north. That's yeah. the problem. Okay, so let's get to that. But, but, but wait, wait. But so Tom's point is, if it was if it was a strategic decision not to put all the high value assets out in the field and even give time, how is it that against an unknown enemy uh, that may be supernatural that could be Ragnarok on steroids? Why would she you bring put all three, three eggs in one basket, right. so to speak? Right. And why why did that happen? All right. So let's get to that because. All right. So the money moment in this whole episode is, well, the second one of the two money moments in this whole episode is Night King seeming to be quite prepared for a dragon. Javelin toss. Yeah, the javelin and toss. They, yeah, right. They come, they come in and they start blasting the hell out of everything. And, and in my impression, they were not being ashed the way humans were. They were being knocked down and blown by the blast of the fire. But it wasn't that they were actually being incinerated the way we hoped. Yeah, but but some of them are like blowing apart, like uh, yeah. like uh, Jawbone of the Ass, your favorite character, right. does like right, right. blow apart, right? <laughs> right. Well, I don't know. But anyway, it certainly wasn't the, the <laughs> little finger without a voice just kind of dissipated. It wasn't yeah. as decisive. I think it was deliberately not as decisive as it could have been. It right. wasn't like everything was ash. But so they're flying around, and then you see them them up at the distance, and you see him take the javelin and do his super throw. And the result was spectacular. I mean, it was incredibly yes. gruesome. Compared, but I just could not believe what I was seeing. I know, compared to Smog dying, which is the only great other dragon death scene in my uh, reference book. Yes. That doesn't know <laughs> cavalry, like doing anal bum cover for a thousand. Um, <laughs> it was constantly um, keep going off the rate reservation in such weird ways, man. I don't. 
I'm, I'm from the government. I'm here to help. Yeah, the, but um, so, but so, but that was a spectacular death scene. That was just amazing. And so the ice spear, what was trippy to me was the ice javelin pierced his neck, <laughs> and then his body burst into flames, which was strange because he's well, a well, fire-breathing dragon. But was it? Was but it that's where their, when he did their it? fuel is too. I mean, you've got to have some sort of fuel for the flame, and so I assume. But if you can breathe fire, but if you can breathe fire, the fire is not going to damp. If you could breathe fire, then why would the fire be hurt? Would, would okay. be tearing you open? So well, if you're holding so a flamethrower and, and, and someone blows up your tank, you're going to blow up. If it, like a flamethrower, like a flamethrower in World War Two. Yeah, you were born in fire. They, they punctured. But you were born in fire. The oxygen and between the oxygen and the combustible and the fuel, and you're just gone. I don't think right? so because they were born in fire. It's been a long, it's been a long-standing thing that they are part of the. They are immune to their flame. They are part of it. They're generating it. They're not hurt by it. There's something but about the javelin. But there's a difference between the exterior. What did him in? What did him in was a loss that's of blood, true. wasn't it? That's true. Okay. Well, what did him in was a loss of blood. Well, that was what was interesting. It didn't. It, not only did it look like when, when the when the the helicopters do the water drop on forest fires, but <laughs> yeah. also it also looked Operation like Operation Dumbo Drop. I was pretty sure that I was seeing solids too. Like he was disemboweled and like like it, I mean it looked really bad. Yeah, <laughs> before it was an he hit arterial the ice. So explosion, trash. definitely. Yeah. There was a shit ton of really I, good I, acting in this episode, and I, her watching I, that happen was amazing. Yeah, I think that was. I think that was just lunch coming back up in an unfortunate way. Bunch of cows and things. Yeah. Yeah, I think realistically what happened there was he got punctured by that. It detonated his fuel and just blew a big old hole in his neck kind of thing. But But Chris, you just said realistically. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) If we follow the... I thought thought this was a documentary we were talking about here. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Westerodynamics. Well, anyway, so he goes into the drink, and you see her response, and she's not screaming. She's just staring with horror. And I really loved all of the emphasis in this episode yeah. placed on the fact that they're her children. Yep. Yeah. That she treats she them, can't... she feels that way with them. They're not animals. Now... She can't, have, she can't have children the regular way. I don't know where right. that was established, but she starts saying that. No, the, the, she, there was actually, I, th- I think back in season three, after Call went after down baby, and, her, yeah. and her kid got burned up, that there was a prophecy that she couldn't have any natural children because she would be the mother of dragons. Well, remember, she had sure a, a, a freakish mutant uh, uh, miscarriage, and they were basically like, you're never going to have another kid. And now, died they, and got burned up, by the way, right? Now, now, mother of dragons... Yes. But if she's mating meeting with another Targaryen, get your mind out of the gutter. Get your mind out of the gutter. Maybe she can have a baby. Now, okay. So <laughs> I loved her staring. I loved her staring, watching this happen. I loved the horror. I thought it was a. I thought it was great and in character and painful to watch. John say, "No, no, no, no. There's another one. You go. I'll stay." And that whole thing was hard to watch. It was I the whole was like the last the last guy can't get to the helicopter. It was everything about it was just so brutal. I loved it. Willem Dafoe in Platoon. Oh, correct. Exactly right. Now the him just bursting out of the water somehow and 
and and and right where his sword is and getting out of it. There was a lot of plot device stuff there. I mean, they just did it because it was cool and all this. But nonetheless, and then Jen, and, and then and then Jen's miraculous sudden appearance, saving yeah. him, releasing him, and then going down with the ship. You know, it, it's fine because it's Act Three of seven seasons, right? So it's fine. But I, I, I don't so. know about that. Like I don't know. I didn't like it. I thought like I didn't me. like it, but like I'm just like saying. Clint Eastwood coming in in uh, pale gray rider with a torch. I don't and, know. Yeah. I I was hoping it was something slightly different. Which was remember how we saw him drag his ass out of the water and then he's kind of staggering around. You see the white slowly kind of turning and looking at him. I've so, been hoping and thinking that the Night King was pausing and they're all just kind of standing around because there's something about John that makes them pause in attacking him that they're yeah, not, he, but he moved. That's what happened. Right, 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 right. So to me, so to, to me, just, there was, I was per, hoping that he was going to walk. Ego, to, right. But just pretend you're an ego and just sit there and let them walk on and then get up. I don't understand why he <laughs> like ran off. Right. Well, like, he was be, also be a chicken he nugget. He thought he was so doomed. He was frozen. I mean, he had been in the water. He was fucked. He, I don't think he had any hope of escape until Jen, Ben Jen showed up. Okay. So, so I was kind of hoping that the alternative was that he dragged himself out of the water and is standing around totally frozen. And they're looking at him and then walking away because he, in, his, in a way, is like Ben Jen was. He's not quite alive anymore. I was hoping that that was the angle they were going with. Uh, but they didn't. So because, you know, we haven't really established what happens when you're undead, setting aside the fact that this whole plan, they have no idea. This whole plan about bringing Cersei Lannister, a a white, is going to convince her that this is an important thing. No no one realizes she has her own undead guardian. Maybe maybe she'll see she'll finally find her soulmate. Um, (laughs) Yeah. In in that in the white they bring back the white. Yeah. You know, Pierce of the pure doesn't talk back. Just there to serve and have a good How time. How amazing yeah. was it that, that whole Super like energetic. twenty-five yeah. minutes of this episode? That guy, that that guy was twitching around in that bag. <clears throat> I absolutely adored Dude. the fact that he was just Dude. like twitching and. <clears throat> I would have yeah. taken that role in a heartbeat. What's that? I would have taken that role in a heartbeat. How cool was <laughs> it? How cool was it that the hound kept trying to to put his hand on on his mouth and he was doing that screech that could actually summon the horde. That was amazing, and and then yeah. the, ch- the the chin falls away, like the lips fall away. Uh, that was yeah. brilliant. Everything but, about it was like cracking me up. It was like the it was the kidnapping gone wrong. You know what I mean? The kid just will not shut up. Anyway, yeah. the um, what about the whole rumor mill about the uh, the sword and the wolf? His eye changing color. No, no. Yeah, I, I I looked at it twice, and that it was does bullshit. Not. It was just lightning. water. Yeah. That's what I yeah, thought, I but I think that was just way overblown. It's pretty clear when you watch that. It's just between shadow and water splashing. <laughs> it's like light. It's, it's like stars being reversed in the sky. But it's yeah. pretty interesting that it happened to be at the exact same position that he needed when he came back up. Oh, that's because he needs to, to have his grand sword. Yeah, right. No, right. He's got like a, sp- a spider silk web to his utility belt that just uh, let him there. Right. Okay. So then, second to oh, last, I missed that memo. Second to last m- moment is they've got him back. They bring John. She at the last. She's almost ready to leave, and then he shows up, and so they bring him in, and now he's on the ship, and they've cracked all of his ice clothes off, and she's sitting there 
in gr- grieving, but she's looking at him and she sees all the stab wounds all over his body. So she knows everything is real. That she's... And, by the, and, by, and by the way, it just reinforces the notion and the claim that chicks dig scars. Oh, totally did it. <laughs> and, uh, and abs. Well. Yes, yes. <laughs> and then that surgical whole sequence. Surgical reconstruction does amazing things. I just thought that whole sequence was actually pretty subtle and interesting. How really that conversation that they had and him holding her hand, but nothing being forced, and them kind of all the looks and his comments about bending the knee and expecting that people will, you know, deciding that hopefully people will see what she's chosen to be and follow, which I don't necessarily think is true. But to me, this no. was all broadcasting that her balance is going to be him. And that right. he's going to be on the second remaining dragon who happens to be named after his father. Right. Right. And, and, so, right. That's, and so that's where the Tarly thing could come back to haunt her. Right. Yeah. That, yeah, absolutely. That, that the Tarly attitude is that she's a foreigner. She's not been of Westeros, not been here yep. to see our struggles and that she's not one of us that we can align to. And then she just summarily, you know, turns him into charcoal. But when she's aligned with, when she's in some sort of a, like, marriage alliance with the king in the north who is a Westerosan. Westerosi? Right. And as soon as, Jenny gets, and as soon as Jenny gets back, also gets revealed that he's half Targaryen? If it gets right. Revealed. I it's feel like that's the kind of thing they're going to find out about, but it's never going to be revealed to the, to the public. I, well... well but I never thought Cersei and Jamie would get revealed, and uh, they basically—that's because she's filmed, filmed, crazy now. No, that they filmed the porno and just like broadcast it on the the, the white screen <laughs> behind the ruins of the set. Um, <laughs> so I don't know, man. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, it's interesting. I feel it's like it has to be revealed. It's too big of a bombshell for them to not have that come out as part of a storyline on it. It just no, but I think it's going to be revealed to them and cause a bittersweet conflict with them about their feelings for each other, but not necessarily be revealed to the public in the story. Well, but they hey, will let's, know. Just, let's just, let's just be like the Lannisters. Right. Well, I think that's, and, and I our cousins, that's right? brother and sister. Yeah. I think that's, yeah, but that I think just that's makes it more appropriate. Right. Yeah. It's totally fine for cousins to have sex and marry in that age. Well, and then of course, finally, the the last thing is the is the money shot. At the very end, when they drag, when they use their handy chain. After that chain, conversation, you just said money shot. I did money. And then, but they drag Viserion's body out, and then he nam- and he animates him, and now we know he's got the he's got the weapon. I figured out the, like you said, where those chains came from, you guys. It's the, what's that? the the I figured out where those chains actually come from. Um, the the giants that are with them, they just have those wallet chains that they keep their money in. <laughs> And they just pulled those off and used them. I have to tell you, I'm sure it's coming, but I was totally expecting in this episode that we were going to have Undead 1-1, like, nose boxing a dragon, like, like just like <laughs> throttling a dragon or dragging it into the water or something. I thought it was going to be giant monster combat with the giants. Yeah, we didn't see any giants. I was very sad. Because they're, I mean, th- th- I think that was the point of the Battle of the Bastards. They're gone. Well, no, but they're but the my, the night king has some some We've giant seen them. lights. Uh, yeah, yeah, but I'm saying uh, you mean hard home. No, I think battle of the bastards where that giant got killed going yeah, through the one, gate. One died there. Yeah, uh, right. But we've seen subsequently them marching in an earlier episode, and they have three giants. 
but we yeah, haven't seen least. them recently. Well, yeah, they weren't in this episode, so where are they? That's a that's going to be a plot point. I'm just saying, I thought that they were going to be in this episode. I just if think I have, if, if I have episode. giants and I have to navigate a 30 foot stream, I'm bringing the giants. <clears throat> right. Right. So either it's a plot thing where they just didn't want to take, you know, they just didn't want to go there yet, and they're saving it for a season right. eight, or there's something else. The so, Night King has the giants and the rest of the army because that wasn't all his army. So right, right, right. right. No, where is that, everybody but, else? But there was that poignant to me. It was that poignant moment at the at the end when John and the giant were looking at each other that seemed to imply a passage of things, like something lost. And so to me, maybe there are dead giants, but there are no more living giants. I agree. No, no, I absolutely agree. No, yeah, I'm that's saying, definitely uh, true. I was surprised that we didn't have one one beating up dragons, and I think they're saving that. It's just natural that they're going to have the big giant trying to battle a dragon. To me, no, I, I feel I like think, I, I think you've got an undead giant and an undead dragon. You just put the undead giant on the undead dragon and just go kick some ass. Oh snap! Oh, can you even imagine? Oh, yeah, be all the the Viserion would be all kind of broke back because the giant's so heavy. <laughs> Let, let's, oh, be also, careful. Let, let's be careful how we use broke back in this context. Yes. How so broke back going back now. to referencing going back to referencing all these great war movies and 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 and, and real life events that led to the inspiration for this island team. <laughs> how dope was it when Drogon tries to take off with everybody on board and loses his footing. So he's actually kind of like before he can take off while the Night King was preparing to throw. I thought that was I, a great touch. Yeah, they add a lot of uh, physicality and weight to the dragons. It always really impresses me. Like, the fact that they take some steps before they get the speed up to fly and stuff, I think they do a really solid job at making the dragons feel like they have some real physical heft. No, yeah, I, I think their their physics package on their uh, CGI is really, really well done. Yeah. The, many, um, many projects. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah the, um, the lift and verticality and the runway... The the fire thing has a little challenges, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah. fire always it's, looks it's like crap. Nice really <laughs> so we have this big we have this big showdown coming in the finale, right? We I don't everything we've that. seen, everything we've seen in the preview seems to suggest that we're going to have this final meeting with with the Lannisters at King's Landing, and it seems to be out in the big plaza, which makes me think that it's going to be a situation where Cersei's going to just you know suddenly spring a a. That's you know, not actually the big plaza. That is the. Uh, that is actually the. Uh, what's the word? The stables that the Targaryens used to use for their dragons. Actually, it's one of three notable architectural parts of uh, King's Landing, and this is the first time they've ever shown it. But it's a ruin now because they haven't used it since there were dragons. But it's this massive, like, arena and stables and stuff. I, I'm saying trial by combat. I'm saying Clegane Bowl. And what's interesting about it is we just saw the Hound, A, do the fuck up with the with the rock that leads the zombies to them. And then, B, freeze as people are getting slapped around by, you know, creatures on fire. I mm-hmm. I just I think it's interesting thinking about his character's progression over the course of the last season and yeah. how he's start to take having atonement and starting to feel even though he's gruff about it he's starting to feel responsibility for his actions. Yeah. It's interesting to me oh. to imagine him in a position where he's going to that maybe he would step up and represent for So but these so people. 
so there, there's a lot of interesting offcasts throughout this entire plot development, right? We talked about Theon, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and how he is taken in by a family, the Starks, and, mm-hmm. then, and then reverted against them and then got tortured and abused and then released and then had a moment of truth and then fell back into Reek. And, uh, and Clegane, I think, is a much different arc. And right. I, what, what I think was very telling is that he had to come face to face with his fear about fire in right. the right. coldest place in the coldest place imaginable. Right. Right. And 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 had to look into a fire to see his truth, and uh, and see the path forward. And so, uh, to me, if the mountain's going to have a role, I think uh, the hound is going to have a redemptive tale in that. Now, whether it's pair pair annihilation or not, I don't know. But I think it's. I think it's it's kind of predestined at this point, right? Well, and that's yeah. why I was saying earlier that they just made a point of sending Brienne to to King's Landing. And Brienne and the Hound already have a relationship. They have a very specific encounter where she left him for dead and all that stuff. I think it's going to be very interesting if she's now put in a position to step up and help him against the mountain. Or fight right. Jamie or, or align or fight with Jamie to convince something of something. Sure. Right. And, and and here's an interesting little tidbit. What if Bran told Arya that Brienne had to go to this meeting to sway the day? Yeah. Yeah. No. I still am really torn about Bran and his role with things. I think Bran is so interesting involved in being the one eyed or the three eyed raven that his his little family squabble shit's just kind of beyond him at this point right now. I really feel like he's the Dr. Manhattan. Like he's just so divorced from feeling the humanity because we've seen him interacting with his family already. And he's saying things and doing things that show that he is not even remotely thinking about human emotion. Right. So, So, but if you're treating people, why would he come to the conclusion? So my feeling is he's not going to come to the conclusion to help or, or, or or alter events or do anything in favor favoring his family or any particular person all he would be willing to do or would be motivated to do is maybe something that directly affects the night king exactly and so uniting the seven kingdoms against the night king is one of them could be that's true that is certainly setting them up why did they have that piece on the board if they're not going to use it that way right And, and 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 so you know i i just I think the whole story behind Brienne is going to be much more impactful than some squab squabble between Arya and Sansa. That's no, all. I agree. Yeah. I agree. But I think that's exactly right, though. I think her her thing is that she's this champion, and I think that's what's going to be interesting. Is I think ultimately it's going to be Brienne against the Mountain, and not necessarily just the Hound against the Mountain. But we'll see. The other thing about um, Bran that I like, and I think I'm I, I I bring this to him. When I like him, the more divorced from his humanity that he is and the more random he is in the things he says and how he seems to be lost in all of this data. What it reminds me of is one of my favorite things from Battlestar Galactica, which was that the the ship. Which pilots. one? Be careful. Be careful. Which no, one? No, no. The, the contemporary Battlestar. Okay. The base stars were driven by hybrids that were all effed up and so when you when they talked remember when they would actually interact mm-hmm. with them mm-hmm. they were just spitting out like like lyrics and references to things and personal comments and then moans and just like they were all like they were just this 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 jelly of data and i thought that mm-hmm. was really neat and and surreal about them and i i don't know that that makes me want, i just want brand to get more and more 
I don't know. Screw loose that way. But but, but so here's <laughs> here's my thing. I, I'm pretty sure he is. But he's portraying his dehumanization as a cloak to not give away his true interests. Mm, that could be. Yeah. But I, I think I, I think he's he's thrown it up as a shield because he knows what his role is in this. And he's doing everything to put that in play without telling everyone what it is. Well, he's either directly related to or knows he is not related to the defeating of the Night King because he made the made a very specific point of saying what use does a cripple have to have the dagger that no, is very clear. The dagger, because that, that's not, but his most powerful weapon isn't a, his most powerful weapon isn't a weapon. It's yeah. it's, it's his brain yeah. and what he can do through it. Yeah. You don't think he can actually see the future, do you? I do. You do? See, because yeah, I, I got that, the though. impression that he can only see the past and the present. That's what I thought, too. Yeah. Now, if, if time is a thread, I don't see... If you assume that as a proposition of, and a valid hypothesis, there's nothing standing in the way of seeing the future. And it also resonates with what Littlefinger says, is that evaluate every scenario, see it to its uh, outcome, and he won't be surprised by anything. Hmm. Interesting. Right. And and um, what if they just throw it out there? Like if the white if the Night King can see the future and knew that the dragons were coming, why couldn't Bran also see that? See, I'm not sold on that. I, I personally like yeah, you guys I, subscribe to that, but I don't subscribe to that. I, I don't I, think I don't that the Night King I, I don't knows that, any of that. I don't that. think the Night I didn't think the Night King knew the dragons were coming. I said the Night King was preparing for dragons to come. Mm-hmm. But how did he know that? Yeah, how does he know he, the dragons exist if he can't see that? He doesn't get ravens. Maybe he does. Because the whole I thing is he he's seeing through, I don't know, but there's a whole lot of hand-wavy about what he sees and doesn't see and how he communicates. And he's seeing Bran through the ravens that he's warging and all that other stuff. So, you know, he, he he's still the, the DM's, you know, well, near omnipotent, yeah, big bad at the yeah. end that follows no rules. Yeah. Right. But, but I think, I think there's parody in this and that brand of the night King are somehow, um, set up in the, the, the metaphysical stuff. And then the physical armies are set up in that other dimension. And so it's, that if there's a, if there's, if there's a Lord of light and the Lord of dark, that there has to be parody between them. Otherwise there can be no balance. Right? I still love the idea. I like yeah. the theory like the idea that Bran is the Night King. And here's the only reason where, because when I first was hearing about that theory, I was like, well, of course not. We've seen him be created. Bran saw him created. But the only way that I can think that this could work, and I like it, is we've also seen Bran change events. Right. So seeing the original Night King be created, but maybe he goes back and through an attempt to stop that from happening stop that he becomes caught up himself and then he becomes the night king instead of the original night king that's That'd where i interesting so I, i'm just gonna throw it first guys right if if bran can warg into animals and we've seen him warg into humans mm-hmm. why not the night king yeah i don't think he's strong enough yet but then so but you saw the theory about the the dagger that he gave up right Mm-hmm. That it's it's like the the one sword that can kill the Night King. Um, well, it's got. I mean, it's interesting in that. I mean, I've read up on its pedigree based on the design 
that they've used for the show and then references in the books, I guess. Some but, but, other but it's hypothetical. But talked about that it has Valerian steel and dragon glass built into its design work. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas the Valerian steel is partially dependent upon dragon glass, right, in order to be created. But That's our understanding, this is, yeah. This actually I, has yeah. both in it. Because I, I thought the dragon glass was like the charcoal that you use to anneal the swords that create Valerian steel. Right. right, but in this case, this is the only this is the only dagger that has all that detailing where it's supposed to be dragon glass relief on the mm-hmm. Valerian steel itself. But isn't that mm-hmm. just so. like decorative shit on the hilt, basically? Yeah, maybe. But the point is, it 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 is very deliberately done. It's been shown in a yeah. book and all this other stuff, right. so it's very clearly right. an That's important. Thing. Yeah. yeah. Now yeah, the it's interesting thing the about Chekhov's this weapon dagger. Is, well, and the inter- yes, and the interesting thing about this weapon is why is it even in play? We never saw Bailiff Bayliss get it in the first place. The last time we saw it, it was on Ned's desk in his office as the hand, right? right. And after, he was, after, after the it, he was even touching it, Brand, spinning it. Right? Huh? But after the assassination attempt on Brant. Well, what I'm saying is it was on – no, no. So it was used in the attempted assassination of Bran. Mm-hmm. They, they – and that's what then started this. And Stark then Ned brought Hatt, it with him to King's Landing. brought it with him to King's right. Landing on his yeah. desk. Littlefinger was effing with it while he was talking to him. Right. Then Ned, stormed, Ned left and left the dagger on the desk. Then later on he's captured and beheaded and everything else. And now suddenly a while later he appears and he has this dagger, which means – Presumably, he just walked right back and grabbed it because it was looked important, or right. because he knew he had used it in the first place to do all this and whatever else. And but it was interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. It's interesting. The one, they never the shown. Got, they never shown him get it again. They just he suddenly had it. And he's the right. one that got Ned killed. Right. Yeah. So. Right. Well, and who did they ever actually clarify so, who sent the assassin? Was it Joffrey that sent the assassin? No, never said. No, and never said. The assumption. My assumption has always been that it was Littlefinger. Mm-hmm. It was Littlefinger attempting to frame. It was Littlefinger attempting to frame Tyrion, right? Because Tyrion had that dagger, right? Maybe. There's something about uh, there's a yeah. weapon connected to that weapon. But the uh, the other thing that Arya did at the end was Sansa. Did she spin it? Yeah. Yeah, she spun it in her hand like that and handed it back, handed it to her hilt first. And then you just say that, well. Oh, I see. Yeah. I want to go back and see if anybody else spun it. Mm-hmm. Well, we've just seen Arya do that now with two or three times. We saw her do that with. We saw her flippity flip when right, she right. was dealing with Brienne but as to, well. But to spin it and then put it on the table. But she didn't put it on the table. She picked it up. And then what? she's holding it and advancing on Sansa. And then she, at the last minute, flipped it and handed it. And handed it to her? Yeah. 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 Yeah, she walks away with Sansa holding the dagger. Right. So she didn't put it on the table. She handed it to her. Yeah. Okay. I thought she put it on the table before Sansa picked it up. I felt like, in that scene, I felt like it was it was a, it was a, Parallel to Euron telling Theon, come at me, and Theon not being able to do it. I thought that she was diminishing Sansa by saying, you were looking at it. Here it is. 
you're not going to do a thing with it. And then walking away because it was very deliberate. She she very overtly left her with that and walked, mm -hmm. turned her back and walked out. But but why that as opposed to anything else? Well, it was it was on the desk and she was looking at it. She glanced at it as Arya was walking around and Arya saw her do that. So she went and picked it up and walked well, over all with it. All three of them know that that was the assassin's dagger that was sent to kill their brother, too, though. So there may right. be some right. other meaning in that that just was not portrayed very well in that scene. Well, and, and, then, and then Littlefinger gave it to Bran, Bran gave it to Arya, and then Arya gave it right. to Sansa. Right. So there's something right. about that process that I just, it's beyond me. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Yeah, well, and if this is the weapon that kills the Night King, there's we got a ways to go in in a few episodes, and there's gonna be a raven that's just gonna drop it. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be Theon having his a uh, uh, Smeagol Gollum moment. Yeah, and, there uh, you go. Yeah, yeah. He's just in a cave with the dagger. Now I want to see. Yeah, I'm just gonna say. Now I want. Now I want to see a, a photo minute from you, Chris, of him holding a sausage. Going, My precious. <laughs> So my mind went really to a bad place right there. So okay. we need to redefine sausage and dagger. Well, that's the whole point with him is it goes both yeah. ways. I Chris know. Has been running, his, he's his been running a gif for a while now. Chris loves the gif of, of Bolton waving the sausage, wobbling the sausage at, at, at the end when he's, <laughs> he's on the rack. So I do not, love that not, gif. There's nothing worse than a wobbly sausage. <laughs> Especially when you're about to get your ass blasted by other than a, a right. severed wobbly sausage. Running with the devil. That's why I get so disappointed now. Every episode of Game of Thrones starts. With my wife noted this because she started watching that with me, and um, which I don't understand because I've been doing everything to to remind her this is an incredibly brutal show. But yeah, she, it doesn't seem like something she walked into. in on me watching. She walked in on me watching and saw. Drogon and got really obsessed by seeing the dragon and then she went and read about it and read the stuff on the internet so then she became hooked even though she knew it was brutal and unpleasant and she wouldn't like that she can't help herself so last <laughs> night she fell asleep she fell asleep 10 minutes into that episode and then had to read about it afterwards and she came to me during dinner or when I was cooking dinner she's like so I read about what's happening so well you know it's like one third <laughs> of the reason I'm watching this show is now gone Right. But what I was going to say was when we were well, first sitting down to watch it, it starts with a warning. You know, this show may, will contain excessive violence, you know, hardcore dragon ass blasting and such and such. And then there, and I was thinking, oh, man, we're going to get another cave run, it, it, right? It, it, with John suicide. Right. And the most we got was Tormund tormenting uh, Gandry a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, we did get some but, stabby abs, though, I guess. I don't yeah, know. I don't, I don't know if I don't know if Kit Harrington's abs require um, a parental warning. TVMA warning. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. So, I think that's our just, episode, isn't it? No, just just one last moment for thought. Viserion was Several the final named, comments from Blake. Just one final comment. Viserion was named after her brother. Right. right. Viserion, right. the one that died, it was named after the the brother that was was brutal to her. Right. And the one that's still alive is named after John's true father. Right. So it's, it's just interesting to see how that uh, played out as well. Oh, absolutely. yeah, that is interesting that yep. the one that's the villain now was the one that was named after her brother. Mm hmm. So, yeah, that is just, a, just a little seed out there. If this is all about family decisions and the past coming back to haunt you. Just going to throw it out there. Maybe the Night King is closer to someone in the families than we think. 
That would mm-hmm. be interesting. I kind of hope they don't do that, honestly. I hope yeah. the Night King is literally just an old dude that the Children of the Forest created, but it but, would be interesting to find out. But that scene where they captured the baby and took it off to the um, icicle fortress of Bjork um, <laughs> is uh, <laughs> with the fairy people. It's interesting to contemplate about who that was when they took him away. Right. Well, and right. you know, the, you the baby thing again. is kind of strange to me because all of his White Walkers that they show him walking with all look ancient. They're old, they're balding, they've got the long hair. So where do the babies fit in? I don't understand that. And I honestly think, I thought about that, and I honestly think that that's just an, a, a casualty of decompressed storytelling leading to compressed storytelling that at the time they were just doing some scary shit with whites and white walkers. And I mean, at the time, all we had at that moment, all we had seen is what we now know as the Lieutenant, which we thought was the big bad. So, you know, to me, it was, you know, they just, they were, they were dropping stuff that they never got to follow up from. I don't know. I don't know because the, 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 all the white walkers were living at the time of their turning and all of the right. whites dead at are the time dead. of their turn. So I think I think there's something more there. I just think there's something maybe, more. Maybe one of the White Walkers is just a super creepy Creeperton who just has like this army of crawling baby White Walkers that he's created that he's just like, I really like babies, you guys. I know you guys got your zombies and that's cool. I'm going to have my baby army over here. So on that well, note, I'm just going to have so like the Stephen King <laughs> It thing, right? <laughs> Come down to this. No, it's interesting though. He, he did touch yes. the baby, and the baby's eyes turned blue. But yeah. it would it would stand a reason that now you would have a little zombie baby, which would be fun and another like a stroma kind of deal. But right. uh, um, yeah, it, it, unless they were feeding on it or it had some other purpose, it's interesting to imagine what it, it would be. It would be great if they picked up on that again because right, presumably it did, it they very don't specific. age. Yeah. So yeah, it's odd. Well, no, but we don't know that. I we just felt like. We don't know that. Yeah. And I just felt at the time that it was or not at the time, but when I've thought about it since then, I just thought it was they were just painting them as scary baby snatching creepy crawlies in the forest and all of that sort of Appalachian goth horror. <laughs> and yeah. that they just had really the formed the concept of what they were going to do with it until, you know, but, and now they're but, in that but, time. I, but I think it's really important that they weren't dead at the time of their turning. Correct. They weren't yeah. dead. Really at the, You're really absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Maybe this is how we ended up with Trump? two two col- like multicolor uh, sidewalk chalk drawings of White Walkers in the cave because they use kids' cro- <laughs> you know kids' chalks, right? They're white with blue eyes and all this. You know, they had they had shoe mash stick figures, and then all of a sudden it's like whoop, whoop, like little shading, little shading. Better tie your shoe. Three, four. On that note, on the door. <laughs> that was All right, guys. I think for now, I think we're getting into to Freddy nursery we're... rhymes and and baby yeah. armies. Okay. This moment, we are current. You know, our, this moment brought to you by Kodak, the game of tolls. <laughs> so our next recording will presumably be a discussion about the finale and how all of our theories will have been vindicated, or we will be even more frustrated. And Tom will talk about Littlefinger and the credits again. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, that was fun. Yeah, that yeah we're fun. working on a few little things that'll be kind of fun if we can make it happen with the finale, too, but we'll see. Um, if they would like to get a hold of any of us, how do they do that? How? Well, 
So <laughs> I can tell you one thing. Yes. Blake is a hard, hard man to reach. He is indeed. Your, be- your, best, <laughs> your best effort is certain, certain alleys in San Francisco. If you just know where to be at the right time, you will find him just sort of staggering around. Mm-hmm. Being the unicorns. That's right. For me, you can reach me at my email, which is thom at thirdraildesignlab.com, or you can search Third Rail Design Lab on any of your social media sites of choice and reach me there. What about you, Chris? Uh, you can go to deeplydapper.com for me. I have all of my contact information on the page there, both at the top and bottom of every page. Uh, I have it in the middle, an too. You can tweet me. It is, sometimes it's in the middle, sometimes it's on the side, sometimes it's on the backside of a baby in the woods somewhere. <laughs> on your pages with all the like, so, in construction GeoCities graphics right. you have on there? Hey, most of those are cleaned up by now. <laughs> this, is, this is like the, the McRib value meal that we just have yes. to ease out. Okay. Yeah. And then um, for me, blake.alex.simmons at gmail.com. And if you have any questions or comments, feel free to email us and let us know. We'd love to hear about them. We'll talk about them on the next episode. Um, Please review us. Every review on iTunes helps more people find the show. It's true. For some reason, we want that to happen. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I'm more, these days, I'm actually, I've I've gotten in bed with the beast and uh, not Drogon. Uh, and uh, I've been using Twitter a lot more, so yeah, you know, feel free to tweet at us as well. Yeah, you can yeah, tweet absolutely. at Robot Kraken, or you can tweet at Chris or I separately. Uh, Blake, are you on Twitter? I am. That's unfortunate. At well, you can Blake, tweet at Blake at, as well. But at Blake Biotech, actually, of course it was. Right. And, uh, and and so, and your okay. handle is at Real Donald Trump, right? That's right. And um, my one of my favorite uh, Twitter accounts is one not a wolf. <laughs> it's written about a wolf pretending to be human and it's really existential and weird go check that out that's a side little <laughs> side thing for you anyway yeah just find us on any of these formats and tell us what you think if we're full of shit what we talked about or if there's other things that we should talk about and we've already had some good feedback from people on our Facebook group as well And or if you know um, what God's name is going on with Arya and Sansa let us know yeah that's right got an inside track <laughs> so, but, but I just have a, a moment for, for us here real quick Chris is it your birthday today? Uh, no, it's to- no, tomorrow. It's tomorrow. Technically, yeah. it's the 23rd. Okay, because I the, the Skype came up and said, uh, wish Chris happy birthday. I <laughs> did it really? Yeah. <laughs> so I just want to say That's in advance, strange. everyone, happy birthday to Chris. Oh, uh, thanks. And, I'm, uh, I'm not as old as either of you, so it's tw- all right. Tw- 29 is a big year because it's all downhill from there. 29. I kind of wish I was 29 and knew what I know now. <laughs> Those right. juvenile records will get uh, foyable at certain points of statute of limitation expiration. So just be careful. We've been we've been doing this uh, this whole thing with on Skype with the video off, so it's just our like avatars that are shown. Yes. And Chris has this swarthy avatar where he's wearing like a safari hat and it's raining and he's you know just chilling. And then Blake's avatar is his. His his old his old puppy dog <laughs> stared at me with this look like I am pretty sure you're gonna bring silverware out and I don't like it. But by the way, he had he had blue eyes, which I think is very appropriate for this uh, whole discussion. <laughs> this really yes, unfortunate. absolutely. Really unfortunate. All right, guys, thank you. That was fun. Yeah. Take care, everyone. Thanks Bye. for listening to everyone.